George, welcome back. Welcome home. Oh, thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the Phil Krauss Rebel Podcast. I am your host, Mike, and today I'm with George. And I just want you guys to know that we really care about you. George, I'm Me? letting you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. You went and got stem cell treatment, and I feel like they did something. Like they pulled your soul. Like a lobotomy or something. Out of your gut, out of your fupa. <laughs> no, it was just a weird, uh, well, no, not a weird experience, but it was a, a interesting experience, just the procedure and how they, like the science. Were you nervous? It. I was a little nervous, but once I got to the um, office and I met the doctor, and was every, it a real doctor? Yeah, he was real legit. Like it was a legit. This facility. wasn't behind Albertsons. No, it was like a nice office building, real nice. Yeah, really. Did you guys fly in a in a um, a, a golf wing? So we flew the first flight out. We flew in a. Um, uh, it was like a prop plane, but like a <laughs> nice one. It was a dual prop. Yeah, yeah, dual prop. Okay, that's good. That's and then. Good. Um, was it nice though? Yeah, it was nice. Like leather seats. You really? Could climb back. Yeah, it was nice. Nobody else on the plane? No, just me and Raul and the pilot. Shut up. Yeah. No stewardess though? No. Did you have food? No, you had to bring your Did own. Did you have a shitter? Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh-oh. So there was a shitter and it was like a, like a seat, but you had to lift the seat up and there was the, the, the uh, toilet seat. And then they had a tube. That, that you peed in. That you peed in, right? And the guy was like, okay, click this little thing right here on the pee tube and it, the vacuum will suck it out. So, okay, we sit back. We're up in the air for about an hour, hour and a half. I'm like, oh, I got to go. So <laughs> I go back, and it's like there's no – you can't stand up. You know what I mean? You're yeah, bent a small plane. Time. And um, I pull the tube out. I'm like, all right. It's just like this janky-ass plastic-like cup. And um, I pull – you know, I, I start using the bathroom, and all of a sudden the tube starts filling up. It's not – it's not sucking the it tube's out. The not sucking it out. And I am – it's like a fire hose. Like I cannot stop. So I had to pinch it off with one hand and like hold it. It hurt so bad. And I saw the trash can was right there. So I had to pour everything in the trash can. You dumped the liquid in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to use the rest of it in this water bottle I found on the plane. What? It just, I don't know what happened, but it was terrible. I mean, it was pee everywhere. Oh my gosh. Did you just leave it? <laughs> I, did. I just cleaned it up. And when we got into, uh, when we got into, uh, Kansas city, I just took it with me. I got through the, the trash out. How long was that flight? It was three hours. Well, that's a long flight. Yeah. I think cause we had to fly at, um, we were flying at, I think 29,000 feet or 23, something like that. So I think it took longer, but on the way back after the procedure, it was like kind of like a jet thing, no props. It was like the little jet. Oh, a jet, like a and golf got, stream. Yeah, and we got back. It was three hours, but because of the headwind. Yeah. But we were up, we were up at forty five thousand feet, like above everybody. Nice plane. Nice. It was real nice. Nice pisser. Like, you could actually yeah, pee in it. Yeah. And no then, stewardess. Like, no stewardess. But the seats went all the way back. Oh, so you could lay down. I passed out because you guys were hurting. Dude, it drains you. So you got a, you had a liposuction. They centrifuge and extract the cells from yeah. your back. Yeah. Implement it back in the fat cells, which is your own tissue, and then they re reinject it back in yeah. your. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did seven or seven or eight in my neck, in my like base of my neck area. Then I had a whole bunch of my uh, lower back, and then I got two injections in my one each of my elbows, and um. When I had my MRI done for my back, he they did like, an actual MRI. Yeah, I got an actual MRI. That's a big deal. And um, they said, he said, you know, your, your your spine should have a slight curve to it when you're laying down. My, as he said, it's just straight. Really? And all of my discs, I had maybe two discs that were healthy that were white, and the rest were black and just dead, and they were like starting to bulge out 
It's Ooh. Like, so I was like, well, that explains. You had spina bifida, that, man. <laughs> that explains everything. So <laughs> Scoliosis, spina bifida. But uh, I recommend it for anybody. Like The next couple of days. I How mean, expensive is that? I think from what I heard was $20,000. Oh, my minus God. the travel. Oh, my God. So it was all done through this foundation, which is like amazing. Well, you earned it, man. I, I, at a minimum, like you guys who have done, I mean, if you've been to combat and been to war, which means you've spent time training up for that, and then you did 20 years. Yeah. You deserve every penny on airborne status. Like if you're an airborne paratrooper and you spend a career in that, a 20-year career, why the fuck would you not get 100% disability? You're right. broken. You're done. There's no way. You're jumping your body, accelerating your body out of an aircraft yeah. that's going 110 <laughs> knots. You're bailing out of it with a chute attached to your back and frapping in the ground. Yeah. It's I mean, not there's like, no like, it's soft not, landing. There's no soft landing. You're just eating shit yeah. every single time. And then they, you have to fight the veter- veteran affairs system. I- I'm proud of you, man. You deserve that Thanks. shit. Thanks. You're um, next, though. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I want to say big shout out to Triarch. Uh, we did this stuff in Dallas. Big shout out to uh, TriarchSystems.com. Uh, Triarch is a sponsor of this podcast. They provide custom carbines, pistols, and everything else in between. If you guys use Philcraft, one word, you can save 5% on a build. I'm waiting for that big Trial 11, man. I saw that you had the pictures of it. What did it feel like? It looked Dude, Amazing. it's the one of the best. It, it's got the flat trigger. It's got a 1911, so you could hold purchase with the support hand better than any gun. It's it's my favorite gun. I I, I love it. I love it. Nice. Uh, this podcast is also sponsored by Killcliff.com. I, I got a BlackBerry Recover in front of me, waiting for a resupply of the CBD. Yeah. Um, if you use Survival One Zero, Survival One Zero, you'll save ten percent on checkout. Yeah. That's Killcliff.com. And don't forget about the Killcliff Challenge. Okay, What's I that? made it up. Uh, it's just that you drink all three drinks during a workout and just Why try are you your best. Sweating right now? You just drink it's it at hot night? Here. It's hot. Oh my God. Yeah, I had about, yeah, I had to do that ignite thing. Uh, also, this podcast is sponsored by Casey, Casey Lights. Yeah. I did a truck post today on my, the truck. It's got the new paint job. Thanks to Orlando. Big shout out to Orlando and his family. Um, so I got the it, Rhino line, but I'm kitting it out for off grid, off road adventures, bug out rig adventures. And I'm getting a suite of KC lights adapted to the truck uh, for specifically off-road driving because mm-hmm. you got to see where you're going. KC lights is one of the best in the industry. Uh, they've been around for 50 plus years or 50 years now. I think it's 50 this year. Their anniversary, yeah. right? Yeah, I love them. Big fan of KC lights. Yeah. Check them out. KCHighlights.com is the website. KCHighlights.com. Yeah, stay tuned for with that because we're gonna have a lot of content with KC highlights with all of our rigs and stuff. So. Stay tuned. They're a great company, so we're excited to start working with those guys. Also, we got a sponsor, BCM, Bravo Company Manufacturing. I'm a sponsored gunfighter for BCM, mm. running and gunning. Yeah, I've seen your videos. Yeah, Frank Proctor. I've seen your pictures. Uh, uh, Pat McNamara, um, J.D. Podinsky. There's a whole bunch of guys, BCM gunfighters. I've always been a big fan of BCM before they picked me up, and I'm glad they did. Year of vetting, and now we're gun- sponsored gunfighters. About to do some content here in the near future. Yep. Big fan of that. Oh, yeah. Are you a fan? I am. I have a BCM. I have a, a 10.5 that you graciously let me have, and um, I use it for uh, when we go to all the ranges. So. I want to give a big shout-out to Black Powder Red Earth, too. Oh, yeah. BPRE. If you're a fan of graphic novels, I've done consulting with those guys, and it's a good way to tell some stories that can't really be told in other venues. Uh, Black uh, uh, 
black black powder <laughs> black it's like a it's like one of those uh tongue twisters black <laughs> powder red earth sunshine city uh black powder red earth.com and it's bpre is the uh the acronym that you can find online and it's black powder red earth big shout out john chang what's up man john chang um hey this opportunity came to us via kevin owens kevin went to the socom sniper symposium and got an opportunity to interview Todd Hodnett. If you guys don't know who Todd Hodnett is, he is the godfather, the godfather of modern sniper uh, marksmanship. And what I mean by that is he is a rancher, is a cowboy. Just a regular guy. Just a regular guy who grew up shooting and then put things together for the special operations community. Kevin Owens has been a good friend of his since the very beginning. I've trained personally. I've had my sniper detachment with uh, Todd Hodnett. And it's good to actually hear Todd's story from beginning to end. He owns AccuracyFirst.com, um, tied into Kestrel to Horace and everything else. And uh, Kevin had that opportunity. And it's Kevin's first hosting opportunity. Oh, yeah. The Irishman. Here we go, man. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Philcroft Survival Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Kevin. Mike Glover has been fired from Phil Crux. I'm just kidding. He's in Arizona. I'm in San Diego at a SOCOM sniper symposium and uh, got to catch up with some old friends and and uh, learned a lot of stuff. It was pretty cool. But I cornered Todd Hodnett and roped him into a podcast because Mike told me to. And uh, if you're a, a sniper in special operations in, in probably half a dozen countries, you know who Todd is. Todd has um, contributed more to the sniper program and the long-range shooting program than anybody I know. And he's got a really cool story. And it's he's super busy, and it's hard to get him to uh, sit down and, and tell his story, how he be, went from being a rancher in Texas to training the most elite snipers in the world. So uh, this is going to be really cool, because I haven't heard the story, not from start to finish. <laughs> so, Todd, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy it. Yeah, so we're going to go back to the start. We're going to talk about... Where you were born, where you were, uh, you went to school and stuff, early lessons in life, and how you, like I said, came from being a rancher and a cowboy action shooter, and uh, what was it? There was a few other things. You, you've done a lot of stuff in your life. Yeah, it's it, it's been a mixed bag of uh, careers. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, and most of all, fortunately for the guys I get to work with now. So, kind of going back. Uh, was born in Lubbock, Texas, grew up in uh, Leveland, Texas, went to school throughout, you know, high school there uh, in Leveland, outside of Lubbock, 30 miles. Uh, grew up 20 miles, you know, north of that little Pettit and Pept uh, community. So way out in the country. But one of the nicest things uh, in my early life growing up was uh, the fact that I lived on a prairie dog town. So I actually got to go out every day, rode the bus for an hour after school as soon as I'd get home, my mom would have uh, the twenty-two pit or twenty-two rifle and an apple beside the door. I'd walk in, throw my books down because I did all my homework all the way home in the hour drive, and I would grab my rifle, twenty-two rifle, and my apple, and I'd leave home and I'd come home at dark. So I spent you know hours and hours shooting from short range to long range, whatever long range was at the time, what I perceived as long range, but learning stuff. Uh, and that's how I grew up. And even though I didn't know we were poor, uh, it, it never was 
you know, anything on me, I, I could have been rich and done the same thing and didn't mm-hmm. know it. So did, did anybody teach you how to shoot or just kind of No, my them? mom, uh, dad was always really busy uh, trying to make a living as, as a cotton farmer uh, back then. So dad wasn't around really to lay down and teach me how to actually shoot a rifle. Mom was a very good marksman. And she was the one that taught me how to align sights and pull a trigger and, you know, shoot paper, that mm-hmm. kind of deal. And it was short, quick lessons in the backyard. Of course, we lived 20 miles out, you know, so uh, we were probably five miles from the nearest highway. So mm-hmm. laying down, putting up some paper on some cardboard and shooting it and kind of giving uh, a little quick instruction and then me going out and killing stuff. So uh, it, it was quick and it was fast, but she was very good and she was adamant about saving safety and that kind of deal. Of course, what they did back then, people would go to jail for today because they turned Mm -hmm. a kid loose at six years old with a rifle and say, hey, see you later. And, you know, dark, I'd show up at the house. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously never shot myself or Mm -hmm. anybody else or anything that I wasn't supposed to. But we grew up that way. We were taught the proper way to handle weapon systems and, and it was not an issue. So much simpler time. Right? Oh, it was it was awesome. Really, it's a great yeah. way to, to to grow up, right? Yeah, it was wonderful. I kind of did the same thing when I was a kid, but it was called the IRA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, it wasn't. That kind of. All right, so um, then you move on. You go to high school. Yeah, so uh, continued moving on from there. So as far as goals were, I wanted I always wanted to be a test pilot uh, for the Air Force. That was kind of, I mean, Jaeger was my, you know, big guy that I, you know, wanted to mentor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was, he was kind of the, kind of a hero in my, in my eyes at that time. I I don't know really nowadays what I perceive as heroes. So today heroes are more guys that, that I have known that went down range, you Mm -hmm. know, so, and didn't come home, uh, so now what I perceive as heroes is more that instead of like Jaeger, that is something more of a mentor in my mind as far as, you know, kind of classifying. Mm-hmm. So, but I, that's what I want to do. So I want to do, uh, at the time, I wanted to be a test pilot because there really wasn't a time of war. So I, I graduated in 82. So I'm 56 years old now. And in that period of time, there was not a, uh, a, a a battle there was there wasn't mm-hmm. anything as far it's as still, still healing from the vietnam War. yeah absolutely yeah. so you know the my big problem was i didn't want to go into the military and you know whether it was to be a sniper or even to be a uh, a fighter pilot and do a job and i thought about it for a long time i didn't want to train to do a job that i'd never get to do mm-hmm. and there was the, the whole cold war and, and it's like periods of non-conflict for years and years and years and decades and so it's like do do i really want to go down that road of maybe training for something for a career and never get to do it even though a fighter pilot would still be a a full cut you know or a full job or cool job uh so what i looked at was a test pilot i'd still get to do a lot of cool flying that was advantageous to the boys Mm -hmm. at some point and so I kind of started going down that road, and then at some point it hit me. It's like, hey, you know, there's there's not a real chance of me transitioning from test pilot to fighter pilot, and actually, and that was no, the normal route, you know, back then. Uh, because there wasn't a conflict, I probably wouldn't get to transition into a, uh, a, a true conflict military role. So I said, you know what, might as well make money 
doing the flying. So I looked at crop dusting. So that was something in the in my neighborhood, being a cotton farmer, that we saw all the time. You know, crop dusters flying around. So it's it's more the old P fifty one World War two fighter planes. So these were uh, big motors. You know, whether it's bi wings or single wings, and you know, there's a lot of kind of aerobatics, and you're low to the ground. You know, so it, it was a lot of hair on fire. You know, your wind or hair in the wind, that kind of deal, look, which I don't looking, have anymore. <laughs> looking back now, yeah, I can. Imagine imagine dad doing that that's like mowing the lawn it's like up and down and up true and down. but you got to understand in the 1980 dollars so in 1980 i went down i was at the king ranch uh doing cotton stripping uh down there so my dad had the uh contract for the cotton stripping and we'd take 20 or he would take 20 cotton strippers down there and i got to know the the pilot that was flying and defoliating the cotton at the time well this guy would work six months out of the year didn't mm. own the plane he's just a pilot making quarter million dollars a year wow so mm. it's it's the highest paying flying job there is really so crop dusting because you don't live very long most of the time <laughs> so as far as it's the most dangerous job you can do as a pilot so it's one of those deals that you know i i grew up probably wrong i, I never thought it could happen to me so i was like yeah i'll be happy to go fly and make that kind of money because you know at, at that period of time as a pilot and i always wanted to be a pilot you couldn't make any real money, you know, flying, mm-hmm. uh, maybe if you had 30 years and you're a captain of a 747, you know, you know something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but as a pilot, it, I could make instantly, I'd be making, you know, a hundred grand, you know, jumping into flying crop dusters. And I was in an area of the world that crop dusting was a prevalent job. I mean, it was, they, mm-hmm. they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember, I wasn't even, uh, uh, very far along in my private pilot world when I had a group come to me and said, hey, would you hurry up and get your commercial and we'll hire you immediately as a as a crop duster? Because they had two people crash within about a month. <laughs> vacancies. And they, yeah, they had vacancies. <laughs> so it, it was something that I really wanted to play with and uh, ended up. It bought an airplane, building time, trying to get my commercial. You need 250 hours. Then you go down to Aries, Georgia, and they teach you how to fly every kind of crop duster. And you come back, and you get a position, and you're flying. You're doing the job. So mm-hmm. that's what I was into. And about that time, my dad called me up and actually was still living at the house. And I was probably... 19 years old at the time trying to you know transition and he was like hey uh, uh i talked to your brother which was living out of the house and he said uh, i found a ranch up in dalhart texas uh he said uh would y'all want to go to, to go together in business and actually uh do this and and lease this ranch and farm and i was like you know that's really what i want to do on a cowboy and do that when i retire I uh, never thought about doing it for a living as far as a career, but uh, always, always wanted to have that ranch style, you mm-hmm. know, or that ranch lifestyle. And I said, uh, you know, we're broke now, so how broke can you be? Broke's broke, right? So, <laughs> what, what's the worst thing that can happen? So I, I say that a lot about things in life. So you know, what's the worst thing can happen? So we go broke, or I'm already broke, so it's not that big of a deal. So we we laughed it off. Said, "Yeah, I'm in." So next thing you know, you wake up and twenty something years later, you're still ranching, farming, doing the same deal, and it's it's worked out to whatever level it's worked out to. Mm-hmm. So you know, so we we went up there, we did that, uh, we ranched and farmed it. The first year we had, uh, I think it was 
10 circles and then five, I think we had 15 circles, uh, ended up with 27 circles of farmland. Now, a circle is uh, 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 basically about 125 to 130 acres. So uh, we, that times 27, and it was only me and my brother because we couldn't afford hired hands. So we were working 18-hour days. So when we say we work 18-hour days, 18-hour days was on the tractor. Then we still had wells we had to check. So we had to operate uh, your sleep time. You had to take three hours of your six hours a day that you had to sleep and actually check wells. Mm. And as fast as you could check wells to make sure everything was good, you could go, go to bed. And then the other guy would get the other three hours off. It wasn't and, the glamorous life you thought it was. No, <laughs> not, not quite. You know, the, the cowboy world was good. The next year, uh, of course, we just... I actually took in another 25,000 acres of ranch land and trying to manage that with the 27 circles now that we had of farmland. Do you, do you have to have that much land to make a living yeah. ranching? Yeah, really? you, you, you can't make a living. Uh, I, it, obviously, we if we could have, we would have. Yeah. Uh, but but you, there there really is an option of making, you know, you had three families. So when you're, when you're looking at and then the price of equipment, so you, you can't buy uh, a $70,000 tractor and work one circle. So it has to pay for itself. So mm -hmm. now you have to work, you know, six circles or ten circles or whatever. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's in the price of a combine back then was, you know, uh, I think quarter million dollars just for the combine, which now won't even touch it. It's it, it's probably getting close to eight hundred grand for just that. Do you look back at that time as like a fun time, a oh, yeah. fun memory? Yeah. So isn't, you, there, isn't there something about hard work like that? That, uh, that just hard times or or what grow you? It, it, it's funny when you reflect back on life, uh, the the things that really send out so hard times. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely, so yeah. when you're cold mm -hmm. and you're tired and you know you're just laughing just to live through it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You always remember those, and they're yeah. fond memories yeah, later I, in life. It builds so, so much resiliency yeah, for later it, it in does. life. It yeah. does. It really yeah. does. And to the point that you kind of want your kids to have to live through those hard times. You do, times. and kids yeah. don't these days. Yeah, you know? no, they, they don't. Really Life's don't. too good. You yeah, know, it, and, it's a constant struggle for parents because you want to give your kids everything, but it's not what's absolutely. best for them. You know, I heard a great. Uh, phrase, you know, your job as a parent is to prepare your kids for the world, not protect your kids from the world, you know? And that that is your job, and that you do that by smart. being somewhat harsh on them, you know what I mean? But it's tough as a parent. Yeah, right? it's tough because, you know, like you said, you want to give them every benefit and every, maybe every option you didn't have. Mm -hmm. And and not, I mean, you, you and me, we, we understand the value of hard work and hard times. But you still, it's like, man, you, you really don't want your kids to have to go through that, no. that period of life that you and me, I'm sure, you know, we've been friends for, since 2006. So mm -hmm. at least we're dealing on 14 years now. Yep. So, you know, we haven't had this conversation, but there was times in my life, you know, it, it was uh, meager as far as money coming in. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, and this was before I went broke. So, <laughs> so with farming. So yeah. that, I mean, that gets into a whole nother story, but the, there was times in my life where we're making $800 a month and mm. I'm married, yeah. you know, and $800 a month. And people go, was like, what, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's paying for everything that's your gas and that's your, your food and your insurance. And, and you just learned, you know, how to make it you work, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and, and before that, you know, we were probably in the $600 range. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when I was single, because I didn't, re I didn't require somebody mm -hmm. else in the house and, and, you know, feeding them and that kind of deal. So, but 
you know, thing, things got better and then things got worse. So one of my worst fears was uh, losing a crop and uh, but because what that would eventually do to opportunities for later in life. And so in 1995, I got an eight and a half inch rain in 45 minutes and I had corn crop out and the corn crop was uh, probably about six inches tall and it wiped it completely out. It was gone, you mm-hmm. know? So when I came out of it and I, I can remember thinking, uh, I didn't know what was going on. Well, I knew what was going on, but I didn't know what the purpose was, you know, God's plan for me at that time. Uh, But I can remember looking outside my kitchen window and thinking, I don't know what's going on, but it has to be for the good. Really? You You said that. Yeah. There's not a lot of people would think that way, you know? Well, I, I knew, I knew my belief was God's always in control. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that if if that was what was happening, it's obviously in, in my belief is he's always in control of everything. So I, I, I sat down and I prayed to him. I said, hey, you know, thanks for being in control for whatever this is, you know, uh, Thank you for taking care of me. Thanks for the curveball. Yeah. And it was, it was huge because I lost everything. Lost $450,000 in 45 minutes. Wow. And so it took you about. Have insurance for that? Uh, yeah, I had hell insurance. Unfortunately, it was a flood, wow. not hell. So wow. I got nothing. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, where most people get a disaster payment when it wipes out, you know, half a county or, you know, half a state. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, it wiped out me and my neighbor, and that was it. Wow. And it dumped all the rain. It was a 200-year rain that happened in about a 10-mile circle. On your and house. then boom. Yeah, on my <laughs> house. And then it was gone. So it, it was one of those deals that uh, unfortunately happened, but it was the best blessing that I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah, because... Basically, what happens is from that, you start transitioning. So a mental transition first. So you come out of it, and you're like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. But thankfully enough, uh, we had some opportunities to sell out there. So I sold my airplane, had a 210, uh, ended up selling it for uh, just under hundred grand. So paid, you know, now $350,000 to the bank. So it's mm-hmm. all borrowed money. And so we had about $100,000 in savings that paid another 100000 off that. But now I'm really broke. So now I got 250000 Well, the bank wants their money. So they had, they had to loan me money the next year. It's kind of like the crap table. They had to give me a chance mm-hmm. to make my money back. Mm-hmm. So I ended up making uh, about another hundred the next year in another corn crop. And then, so I had to pay out the next hundred uh, again, but I realized at that point that if I bet on the come line again, back to the craps analogy, if I bet on the come line again, something goes wrong, I'll lose the farm, something I'd worked on for years and years and years to, to not pay off, uh, but have a down payment on. And so in the farming world, you work your career, your whole lifetime to pay for a farm. And by the time you retire, you sell the farm and that's your retirement. And that's, that's kind of the way the farming world works. So ended up, we leased the farm. Uh, so I, I called my dad and my brother. I said, Hey, uh, we don't need to risk this. Let's, let's lease it out. And I'll go down to Paris, Texas and work with them. We had a, another ranch down there that we leased and a manufacturing business building cattle guards that I'd found in the middle of the night, chasing a mountain lion out in New Mexico. And so we had called the guy and, uh, we started a manufacturing business on this patented cattle, cattle garden. We were basically, I welded for a career for, uh, for a period there ranching down there and somewhat farming down in East Texas and then welding as a actual career. But that transitioned into at the time I was playing golf, uh, really wanting to go on tour. 
So I was fixing to sell the airplane prior to the uh, the hell or the 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 eight and a half inch rain, and the next year I was going to sell the plane and go on on the golfing tour. So it would probably been the Ben Hogan tour at the time. You that good? Uh, What's your handicap? At that time, I was anywhere from sixty eight to seventy two consistently. So I was I, I, I was scratch, at, you know, at, at least. So if I had a seventy four, it was it was a very bad mental day. So so I'm seeing a pattern here, Todd. You're shooting, you're flying planes, and you're playing golf, all of which involve wind. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> I, I love wind. <laughs> so so, so wind, wind is your friend. So yeah, it, it's something that has been a very intimate part of my life and still is. Mm. So. We ended up going down that road, and, and I was fixing to go on the golfing tour. Had to sell the airplane, obviously, to pay off the the debt that I had to the bank at that time. So I had to change that world. So uh, something you something I believe in fully is you do everything in one hundred percent. So uh, I didn't have the opportunity at that time anymore to pursue the golfing career. So I, I closed the door on it, and I played probably. 10 times since 1995 wow. and I've, I've played probably two times in the past six years. Mm. So just with buddies, you know, having a good mm-hmm. day, that kind of deal, which is never a good day because you remember what you used to be and yeah. you know, what you're but not. But you know, you close one door and it opens another. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, 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 you know, I spent 24 years in the military. I missed some stuff, but I replaced those memories with other stuff. Right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And, and that's why I say the biggest blessing that I ever had, because basically removed me out of a job that I loved. Uh, I, I love the smell of, uh, you know, dirt that you turn over. And, and when you step out of the tractor, you can see the work that you did for the day or, or riding horses across, you know, a hundred thousand acre ranch when you're helping somebody else with our ranch wasn't that size. When I say ours, the one that we leased, we didn't own it. Uh, but if you're even working on our, our side and doing the job, uh, and cowboying and something, it's the analogy is, is unique to our world. When I say our world, the military and the cowboy world, because we, you, you call them posers, we call them shadow watchers. So when you're riding a horse across pasture and you look down at the shadow that you're casting on the ground and you see this horse and this guy sitting on this horse with the cowboy hat and you look down and you see him, you're, you're like, yeah, that's me. And so it basically you're a poser, you know, at that point, but, but every cowboy at some point in time, it's has looked down at that shadow and, and been like, that's cool. That's Mm -hmm. the life that I'm living. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those deals that, uh, that I see so many analogies, uh, that are, you know, I say analogies, so many resemblances between the cowboy world and the military world and the 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 ethics involved and the, the the way the young kids are brought up because in the cowboy world it was it was very hard so you'd mm-hmm. get shapped you'd basically they'd take you down rip your shaps off and beat you with your your, your own shaps if you did things that were wrong you still do that uh, they should Mm, so, so you know, and, and I'm sure they, I don't know if they actually really do anymore because basically that was dying at the time. I can remember uh, kind of like a podcast. I was talking to a guy one night that was actually a, a, a cowboy writer and he would write these books. And I told him, I said, you know, we were out doing day working, staying on this little ranch down the bunkhouse and, you know, I had one guy playing the guitar up on the bunk. And I was like, you know, 
why isn't somebody writing down the etiquette? You know, you, you, for, for one, you never lay your hat down on the bed. That's bad luck. Uh, you always turn it upside down. You never walk into a lady's house with your, uh, spurs on. You always take your boots off. You always leave your spurs on your boots. And I mean, it just on and on and mm-hmm. on with all this stuff. And so nobody's writing it down. And, and the, the honest opinion was, uh, if you didn't live the life, nobody wanted you to know the rules. Hmm. So it kind of separated. Was there uh, a, like a rite of passage where people yeah, accepted yeah, you? Actually, there probably was. There's yeah. a little stuff, too. It's like uh, there'd be 15 cowboys who would ride up to a gate. Uh, I could get off and open the gate, but I couldn't lead my horse to the gate because the uh, the owner or the ranch manager of that property got to go through first. Mm. It, it was it was his right to get to go through an open gate first, yeah. and then you know I could follow him then and hold it open for everybody else and everybody else. But you know, going through a gate first, riding in a pasture, your the nose of your horse never gets past his nose. You know, the, the nose mm-hmm. of his horse. So if it did, I mean, instant shapping, you know, that, wow. that's, a, that's a bad deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's respect. He may pull his horse up and stop, and everybody's going to stop at that point, and he'd look over at you and go, you know this pasture? So it'd be like, it'd set you back. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll step back, you know, know my world. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it, it was a great way to grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a lot of real-world uh mentorship and kind of growing up it was kind of like uh what i say with the military to it like with the rangers it's a great place to grow up mm-hmm. but you don't want to stay there mm-hmm. there's other places to go <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of like that mm-hmm. uh it, the, the cowboy world was a great place to grow up and to learn uh, them early lessons yeah, yeah. early lessons yeah. were, were yeah. fabulous yeah. It, it was great and and the people that i met there were were wonderful and and so even though uh, transitioned into, thank goodness I lost you know half million dollars and it transitioned me into uh, losing the opportunity to go play golf and I started doing cowboy action shooting as a hobby, uh, basically playing. My buddy called me up said, "Hey Todd, I found our sport," and I was like, uh, "What's that?" And he said, "Cowboy action." I said, "Dude, I do that for a living every day." I'm not going to let anybody <laughs> see me dressed up. Can you explain what kind of cowboy action is just for people who so, don't know? Yeah, it's cowboy action shooting at, at one time. I don't know where they are right now. Uh, cowboy action shooting at one time was the fastest growing shooting sport in the United States. Really? So when I would go to nationals or world, we would have eight, nine hundred people show up. And they're all dressed in old west garb. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, so that's sport, kind of the deal. That, shotgun, that, rifle, and yeah, pistol. Yeah, shotgun, and, rifle, and two pistols in uh, different categories for everybody. So uh, the, the cowboy action world did it really, really correct in drawing people because the, the draw was, for somebody like me that is competitive to a fault, uh, you can be as competitive as you want to be, so you can be basically Ipsit Cowboy. And you can run super light loads and be as competitive. Pure speed your game. Mm-hmm. This is for you. Uh, go out and play. Now, you it's, may all, be, it's all single action pistols. Yeah, single action pistols. Yeah. You're going to cock the hammer and you're going to you know pull the trigger and you got to recock the hammer and pull the trigger. And we, we can dump uh, a pistol faster than most guys can shoot a Glock. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Hey, hey, I actually saw it once in Cowtown and in, in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And Mike, Mike, yep. uh, Mike Lover went down and put on all the the headgear and, and went and shot. You know, Asian cowboy. You know. Oh yeah. But it looks really cool. It looks like a really cool. 
like family sport. There it was, is. There was it a is. lot of older couples there. Yeah, it, so it, there's a there's a ton of older people that have actually collected a lot of the old weapons, and that's a neat deal about the category. So, uh, what what we get into is like you may shoot uh, your forty five long colt. That's a first gen pistol. You know, you know. Heaven forbid somebody'd really do that, but because I've got two of them, and I can't. I can't. And I, I don't own guns and not shoot them. Mm-hmm. It's a first gen. Yeah. You know. So you are you really going to yeah. shoot a first gen Colt? Yeah. And so second gen, go play. Do whatever you want to do with them. But the guys come in. They shoot their forty fives because it's a nostalgia of shooting mm-hmm. them. Uh, they grew up watching those TV shows and they love them. It's a piece of American history and they love it. And they they shoot the nineteen seventy threes. You know, it's all rifle caliber through mm-hmm. there. They got side matches for forty five seventies and stuff. It's all it's awesome. It's, it's the nicest deal. It's, it's a wonderful sport full of wonderful people so i'm at nationals and i, I knew this What's guy your name? say yeah oh, handlebar was doc was handlebar. My, everybody yeah. has a name right yeah, yeah. yeah everybody has their handle and i was handlebar and that's a nice thing so nobody knows you as your real name really so everybody hmm. only knows you as your and they call you that when they're talking oh yeah to you? so when they walk up they hey handlebar doc how you doing <laughs> so and basically that's who you become it, it sounds weird no it sounds awesome yeah it, having it, grown up in europe I, I think that's badass yeah so mm. the I, I can remember it, i was at nationals ben avery right there where you're mm-hmm. talking about right by cowtown and i was loading and we were this is for nationals probably the year that i won nationals and there was a guy that i knew and i shot with several times and he showed up he looked like he'd been drugged behind the pickup truck for the last you know half mile mm-hmm. all the way into the range he's got dirty clothes on his chaps are dirty his hats are he looks like he's been basically uh, you know, like on a, a roundup, driving cattle <laughs> for the past thirty miles, yeah. and just got off, and he's going to shoot shoot this match. So he walks up, he's loading, and and, and I, I can't remember his real name. And I asked him, I said, "Hey, you know, what do you do in the real world?" And that was something that was kind of taboo. You really didn't get into that stuff. But is that, once is you that, is that to keep the. Uh the allure, like it was not, not really. It, it's just a, uh, it, it, it's or maybe people went there to escape the yeah, real world. I, th- and, I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think so. So people, people go and and you are who you are. Yeah, you know, you yeah. you don't have to pretend. And so for the it's like an alter ego. Yeah. Almost, so right? so yeah. So for the guy like him, so which we'll get into, he didn't have to answer questions all day. Meaning, when I said, "Hey, what'd you do in the real world?" and he said, "I'm a brain surgeon." So. Now, if I knew he's a brain surgeon, he's like, hey, I've got this little thing in my head. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I've got yeah. this little pain every day. Do I need to go in and have that touch? <laughs> he don't want to answer that on yeah. his weekend off. Yep. He wants to go in and be Dirty Bob yep. or whatever yep. and hang out and shoot with his buddies and them not asking questions all day about, hey, you know, my wife's got yep. this headache. Yep. Is this it's a escape. problem? It was escape he wants the, to get yep. away from all that. So, mm-hmm. and, and I was sitting around a campfire one night and uh, again, same type story, knew this couple forever. And always hung out with him because he's super cool. He had a long ponytail. He's older and he's he's probably my age now. So <laughs> he, he, he's sitting around the campfire with his wife and uh, I, I'm sitting there having a beer with him. And I said, hey, what'd you do in the real world? And he said, he kind of looked off, you know, kind of looked up in the air and uh, looked back at me. And he said, I was on the, I was on the uh, team put the first man on the moon. He worked for NASA. Wow. So yeah. you get to meet a lot of super cool individuals. So, you know, in, in my world, uh, my buddy called me up and said, hey, I found her sport. I said, you know, what is this? He's cowboy action. I said, no, not for me. I do this in the real world. I'm not going to dress up. And he said, Todd, you'd love it. So I said, nah, not interested. So now I'm out deer hunting, mule deer hunting, uh, out on 
basically right beside the ranch that that we own and on the ranch or, or on the farm that we own with my buddy that asked me to get involved in this and he had already got involved and so i said hey man it's noon you know deer sleep laying down uh let's go back and shoot you know your cowboy guns so we go back well being competitive to a fault next thing i know i'm getting close to his scores and he's been playing with it and now i'm i'm, I'm just hooked just out of the competitive side so next thing you know, I'm looking at the price, and obviously, you know, I'm already broke because I lost $450,000. I'm like, you know, maybe I could buy a couple of pistols. I could practice with them, and then I'll buy, you know, uh, it, it was always a pistol caliber rifle and then a shotgun. And slowly get is, is, is the shotgun always double barrel? No. So the, this uh, hammered, uh, the 1897, a hammered shotgun, okay. uh, is probably the most competitive. But everybody has a class. So you may shoot a, a, okay. a yeah, that's just the one barrel. I saw. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the double barrel is what I started with. Mm -hmm. And if you really wanted to compete at a different level in the open class, you went to the 97. The 97 was actually a little bit faster. Uh and switch from my and I always thought, man, I'm really and I was. I was really fast with my double and switched over to 97. And I love the 97. This is the original right gun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they made over a million of them. They started uh in 1897 and built them till about 1950, I don't want to get this wrong, but it's been a few years since I looked at it, in the 50s, let's say. So they built them into the 50s. Uh, and I think it was 1.2 million of them or something. I gotta like get that. one. They, they, oh, they're, they're, they're the engineering. You could shoot dynamite out of that thing, man. Dude, it was I, so powerful. I keep one yeah. beside my bed. Yeah. I, I, now I have a uh, Benelli laying yeah. in my bed yeah. with me, right, right beside <laughs> me on the left. The shotgun on my on my left side, standing up, is my competition shotgun. Mm -hmm. And if I had to grab one, I can outrun the Benelli with that ninety seven. Really? So it mm -hmm. is super fast. It's yeah. slick. It's been tricked out. Uh, you can slam fire the, the crap out of it. So mm -hmm. it's it, it's great, great little gun. Uh, and then two pistols. But it's it's one of those deals that I love the ninety seven. Love the whole uh, cowboy action deal. Ended up getting heavily involved in it. Uh, dry fired for a full month and, and re reloading right practicing that reload yep. that's a big part oh, of it, it, yeah. it's really economy of motion so you're moving both hands all the time mm. so it, it was more about not being not killing time out of non-movement so mm -hmm. when you're when you're laying down your rifle you're already picking up your pistol with your right hand laying down with your left hand uh and then transition because i shot traditional which is two hands on the gun uh they, they've got duelist categories and uh, uh gunfighter categories where you got two guns one in each hand mm. uh uh, and then so or you shoot with one handed the whole time then holster and then grab another pistol and shoot one handed so you got a lot of different categories for and it's it's like pick your category wisely so you you may win world championship and the deal is you, you got nothing for it so you may win a belt buckle and you win world champion but the ten thousand dollar prize may be given at, and it was always given by a draw of a hat so you just pull a prize hey number 654 come mm -hmm. collect your ten thousand dollar rifle and somebody that finished 922nd would go up there and get their rifle I, i've it shot, was smart I've they shot, did good marketing. i shot one sniper match like that several times up in allegheny, allegheny yeah I did. They, allegheny was that way yeah. they raffle the prizes yeah. and it creates this camaraderie and you, you you it's good to be competitive it is and uh, but at a certain point you, you lay up in Allegheny and everybody helps everybody else with, yeah, nice. with, with wind calls and it yep. just makes that family atmosphere. It is, I was going to say possibly, but it is the, the most fun competition I ever shot. Well, what I loved about the Cowboy Action was 
it allows you to compete at the level you want to compete at. So mm-hmm. let, let's say right now you've never shot a cowboy action mm-hmm. match. All right. So I won nationals. Uh, I can go and compete at a national level. Uh, not today, but back then. But if you stepped up and said, hey, I want to compete, and if you stepped in to watch, you never get to watch, you're going to shoot. Somebody's ripping their guns off. It's the probably the – and I've shot Ipsic and uh, – IDPA. Uh, IDPA mm-hmm. and then three gun. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I've shot a lot of the different shooting sports. And, and the Cowboy is probably the most friendliest because in a lot of shooting sports, somebody goes down, it's like, ah, his gun broke. You know, he's out. In the cowboy world, it's like, if you're competing with me for nationals mm-hmm. and we're nip and tuck, I'll give you my gun because you know who did my action jobs and it's close to yours. And I don't want to, I don't want you to lose based off your gun felling. Mm-hmm. So I would give you my gun to compete with and mm-hmm. give you my ammo. And so it, it, and it, that was always the way it was. And if somebody showed up just to watch, we put guns on them and they would shoot and mm-hmm. we would help them and walk them through and they would stop the whole competition for a minute and let somebody that, shoot. That's that incident I told you where Mike walked on to see what was going on. They dropped guns on yep. them and he started shooting, you. man. Yep. They did. Yeah. 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 It's a wonderful group of people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, wonderful sport. Uh, very family oriented, uh, very competitive oriented, if that's what you want out of it. And that, mm-hmm. that was it. And that's why they were the fastest growing for that so many years. Uh, so any, anyway, I jumped into the one nationals, one, all the regionals that I shot in, one, all the States that I shot in. And this is probably 2000. I want to say three, maybe 2002 timeframe, 2003, uh, ended up starting my own shooting school, uh, running all over the United States. So really it was a way for me to pay for my hobby by selling targets. So I was in a welding business, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, I created targets and carried a horse trailer, uh, full of targets and I'd sleep in the the front of it. Uh, we had a little, uh, quarters up there. And so I'd drive around the country and I'd sleep in it and sell targets to pay for my hobby and actually make a little money. And finally it started actually making enough money that I wasn't taking money away from the, the farming operation that at that time wasn't that great. Uh, as far as the income and I was actually making my money off of the, the targets that I was selling and traveling and doing instruction. So I'd have two day classes, sell targets the whole time, all the way through the match. And then I'd move on to the next place, you know? So mm-hmm. it was, it was fun. It was, a, it, it was a wonderful time. Something I had, you know, new world, you know? So did that for a period of time. And then uh, I got a phone call. A guy asked me, he said, Hey, would you come down to our facility and teach some Rangers pistol? And I was like, you know, this is after nine 11. So I was like, absolutely be happy to and they said what do you charge i'm like no i'm good Mm -hmm. so it it was just just to help out and so i I go down there and teach for two days uh pistol and the the ranger said hey won't you stay and shoot sniper comp with us well the guy that invited me uh said hey i've I've got an extra rifle if you want to shoot it well i said yeah sure you know i didn't bring a rifle or anything it's just pistol class so I borrowed the rifle, and he he said, hey, you, you're going to have to look at this. So he showed me a horse reticle, and he showed me a, uh, a PDA with the ballistic horse ballistic engine. And I was like, uh, all right, you're going to have to explain this. So we set up to about 2 o'clock in the morning, then I studied to about 3 o'clock, you know, trying to figure out how to make it work. Ended up the next morning, got a phone call from my dad, said, hey, I've got cancer. Uh, they give me six months to live, blah, blah, blah. It's prostate cancer. I was like, all right, I'm coming home. He said, hey, we, we can't do anything till Monday anyway. Finish your match. Come home. We'll figure out stuff on Monday. So we ended up uh, 
brain was about half there throughout the match. So we ended up going through the whole deal and uh, focus mostly on the match, but not all on the match. So I made some mistakes and ended up finished sixth. And my buddy said, hey, uh, or at the end of it, they said, sniper challenge match, which I didn't know was the biggest match of the year. They said uh, is in two weeks, but we still have a couple of slots open. And so I asked a buddy that I just met. I said, "Hey, do you want to shoot in it?" Is a, a you know two guys sniper spotter type deal. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we joined up. The guy said, you know, he'd let me borrow the rifle, ordered ammo, got the ammo in the night before the match, so I didn't even get to actually live fire anything. Zero at the match mm-hmm. but i'd studied Stage the one <laughs> won it so i was fortunate won that match won the next match which qualified me for this other match that they had set up you know the, which they called the national finals there was guys from all over the united states that was there and it was kind of the little series that was going on at the time and i was fortunate to win that match it's too. funny because um most most kids in the army now don't realize that the army the u.s army now is not the same u.s army before 9-11 it was very poorly funded under under the Clinton administration. We had a lot of deficiencies after 9-11, and things started getting fixed after that, and it's taken quite a while. So there's been massive no, There wasn't change. ammo to shoot or anything. There wasn't ammo, yeah, and I remember crazy. going to the field with one belt of ammo of blanks for, yep. for, a, for a training exercise, and there was no funding for the military. So yep. the, the U.S. Army is very well funded now, and, and uh, the training is so much more realistic. We've come a long, long oh, it's way. it's huge, yeah. huge. You yeah. know, and, and it's... It, it, it's crazy the equipment that I mean even me so quick, quick fast forward uh, after I won about three matches the owner of Horse Vision Dennis Samet called me up and said hey Todd uh, you're winning all these matches uh, stuff would you would you help us and actually go out and do some demos with the military and I said absolutely I'd be happy to so I wouldn't even charge him uh, you know it'd be like you pay for the flights and everything and and I'll go do this you pay my expenses I'll go do this for free so he sent me out to Quantico. And I, I lay down and shoot with the guys at Quantico. And that that was kind of, it was a funny introduction into the military type stuff. So mm-hmm. we go out to the range. I carry my rifle. We lay down. Obviously, the military's got their safety standards. and so Especially the Marines. Yeah, yeah especially mm-hmm. Marines at Quantico. So we lay down and, and, and I, I pull out my gun. And the guy said, you can't shoot that here. And, and I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure I can't. And he's mm-hmm. like, no. He said, it's not safety certified. And I was oh. like. Yeah. What, what's a safety cert? So where do you buy a safety cert? Where do you go for this? So he he, he was like, no, you, you you can't shoot that weapon on this base, and so because it's not been safety certified. And I said, all right. So you asked me to come here. What do you want me to do? And I said, can I borrow one of your guns? And he rolled his head and he's like, all right, yeah, go get one in the trailer over there. And so I'm like, so I grab a a forty or M forty, uh, put my scope on it, walk over, get it zeroed. Well, it didn't zero, so this thing has a uh, a twenty mil rail, right? And I, or I'm sorry, twenty MOA rail, yeah. and I my scope your mount doesn't have the the adjustment in it to get back down to zero because oh. it was one of the the old Horace Falcons or well, yeah. it wasn't a Falcon at the time, but it was the predecessor, yeah, the early one. Yeah. So yeah, so it didn't have the capability now to get back to zero, and I may have actually had twenty minutes of adjustment in my rings in the rings you know yeah, so yeah. so now it's really pushed me down to where i'm really hitting high so i won't tell them right because they they told me it wasn't safety certified so i can't tell them that mm-hmm. you know now they gave me a rifle that i can't zero mm-hmm. so i have to keep this to myself so they said all right hey you know go ahead and engage these targets and they told me what it was and i think i was 
I want to say close to seven mils high, which would be normal for a 20 minute of angle that, you know, mm -hmm. the adjustment. So I'm about seven mils high and I shoot and I just like, Hey, that's my zero, you know, seven mils high. And I mm -hmm. just work my, my grid coming down, you know? And, and so I run out there and clean the course all the way out. And he said, Hey, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, teach my, my guy how to do that. So this kid lays down beside me and now I have to give up and I'm like, all right. So I have something I have to confess. Mm -hmm. And and he's like, what? I said, well, the gun's really not zeroed on the crosshair. And, and I explained the process to him. He said, I'm more impressed that you were able to fix a problem as quick as you yeah. fix it and able to clean the course. He said, teach him how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, take just a minute. Uh, and so real quick, we ran him through, taught him how to do it. The kid cleaned the whole course, same mm -hmm. as I did. Mm -hmm. So immediately the guy was like, all right, now I'm impressed. Well, Alan Boothby walked up at that time, which I didn't know Alan from anybody. He was he was kind of like the head snapper SME for, for the acquisition guy for, mm -hmm. for the Marine Corps. Uh, we became close friends uh, after that. So me and him sat down, talked through a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Robbie Reedsma was there, got to meet him, got to meet uh, you know Dagan and a whole bunch of the instructors up at the building. Just a great, great, great group of guys. So it, it was uh, my initial first trip. With the, with the Marine Corps and with the military was phenomenal. You mm -hmm. know, got to meet a, a, a ton of people I'm still close friends with today. Mm -hmm. So did the, that. The Marine Corps have always been very shooting focused, right? Oh, yeah. Very yeah. sniper mm -hmm. focused. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're but it very. Did, it did take them a long time to evolve, right? Once everybody else started changing. The, I, I well, thought... they were the first one who went to a gritted reticle. Were they really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 They, they were the first one that. And the last. I say that. Hang on. No, they weren't. They were first one went well. Hey, you know, in the world that I'm talking in, that we can talk about. Yeah, uh, they were the first major you. group. Yeah, 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 yeah. Major command. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. went with mil mil. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was PM two with the, the Schmidt. They, right? they yeah. actually did try uh, before SF and everybody. They mm -hmm. went with and and it was actually debt one. So he, here's the story behind that. So very quickly after the previous uh, shoot that I'm talking about, we went out and shot uh, at Yuma. So I left Shot Show a day early and went down to Yuma to do the first PSR test. Mm -hmm. So. We're down shooting through the Doppler at the PSR, and I had trained and trained and trained for the precision sniper rifle. Yeah, yeah precision the, sniper new rifle. New rifle from yeah, the military. Which that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm, I'm down there shooting. I'm the first shooter of the day, first shooter of the whole event. And I go in and I get set up, and you know, all these military guys are there in this cowboy from West Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have this guy kind of doing the, the the face of Horace and the talking and all. And thank goodness, because I, I, I knew how to pull the trigger, but I, I didn't understand everything that the military would want to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, hadn't it actually, you know, other than the three guys that I met and become friends with, didn't know anybody in the military. Mm -hmm. What year you was know? this? It had to be 2003 or four. Okay. Probably 2004 time frame. Mm -hmm. And so ended up, Going down there, uh, in the the wind was horrible. So the wind was blowing from about nine to I say nine, uh, probably about six to about seventeen mile an hour mm -hmm. in gust, and it was full value. And so I looked at it and I was like, man, the a lot of companies have spent a lot of money, you know, because I I'd shot you know 
probably well over a thousand rounds in the month before trying at 2000 meters, trying to get groups. And that's a whole nother podcast and what we learned about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, scope shadow and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the, the benefits of it, not the negative negativity of it. So we, we ended up going in and I was shooting, uh, you know, with, with this extreme wind, I told my spotter, I said, you're not spotting, just hold the Kestrel uh, in front of me. And I, the Kestrel didn't have any ballistic no, engine in it yeah, back it then. Day. This, yep. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is just a, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred dollar hold it up in the air type thing. Mm-hmm. So the heat, I said, every time it hits and I'd wind mapped the the winds, meaning uh, I looked at the, the Kestrel and it said six mile hour. I'd write down six and I'd count one, two, three, four, and it changed to eight. And I'd, I'd write down six, four seconds, eight, and I'd start counting again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mapped the wind. I found that at nine miles an hour or, you know, whatever it was, nine miles an hour stayed 50% longer than any other mile mm-hmm. hour. And I did this over about probably 10 minutes. And so I said, every time it says nine mile an hour, you tell me. And so it, he'd be like 12, 10, nine, boom, the gun went off. Well, we shot a two and a half inch group with mm-hmm. wind. I you, mean, still, so, you still use that technique? Uh, not as much. The knowledge of how that works, and mm-hmm. and, and so if, if you'll if you're intimate with wind, and like you it, mentioned, it has earlier, patterns, right? It, it does. has patterns. It does. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. wind. You know, uh, waves comes in sets. Yep. And wind blows in sets. Now, I remember like you telling me that years ago. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you know, you you still you need to be uh, observant of what the pattern is and what wind's doing at mm-hmm. all times and especially in the shooting world. Uh, but there, there's tricks that you can do. I mean, we're shooting, you know, two mile shots now and, and beyond, you know, mm-hmm. we've shot 4,889 meters years ago when it wasn't even recorded as a new world record, which I laugh <laughs> about all the time. So, you know, it's, it, to me, it's a, it's a good beer drinking story at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it, me and probably, Seven other, you know, seven Marines that I was training out of the 15 that were there, everybody hit the same boulder at 48.89, and nobody set a new world record. It was yeah. just a, a fun shoot, mm-hmm. you know, learning ballistics. So, but anyway, we go back when we, we uh, are shooting, and I met the debt one guy. So I'm sitting there shooting at this deal, and I tell him every time it says nine, we shoot in or nine mile iron, we shoot, we shoot this nice little two and a half inch group at a thousand. It, initially, though, it didn't work out that well. So, initially, I shoot and they go, Yep, uh, trigger 460 meters in the dirt. So, we're shooting 500, 1000, 1500, and beyond. So, at 500, they tell me I'm hitting now. This target is 10 foot in the air, I'm shooting a 338. I don't land 10 foot low at mm-hmm. 460 shooting at 500. Do the math. You mm-hmm. know, you're a ballistic guy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, that didn't happen. Somebody screwed with my gun. Can I shoot my other gun? The guy says, it's your time, but you're on time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, geez. So I grab the other gun, lay it down real quick, check everything. Yeah, nothing's messed up on this gun. Shoot, trigger, 460 meters in the dirt. And I'm like, all right, stop. We, you know, we, we got a problem. Well, there was a Navy SEAL guy stepped in behind me and with a spot and scope. He said, send another one, Todd. I send it. He said, he's going through the center of the paper, send the guy down. Mm-hmm. So they go send the guy down. All my 
bullets were going through the center of the paper. They bring it back. Uh, the major guy, I won't mention his name, uh, he goes in and yells at everybody inside the building and so gets all the radar fixed. Up we go. We shoot at 500. At 1,000, we shoot a two-and-a-half-inch group. At 1,500, we get all around some target. And now they just said, shoot through the poles at 2,000. I'm like, I practiced for a month to shoot a group at 2,000. Now all I have to do is put it through two telephone poles <laughs> that are, you know, like 100 yards apart. And I was like, I was kind of pissed because I'd really worked yeah, hard at this. Yeah. But anyway, it was what it was. And uh, they, they ended up in the, the Yuma Doppler can't read a under 20 mil bullet beyond trans. So about whatever, 1600, actually really about 1500, they'd lose sight mm -hmm. of the bullet anyway. So I don't know why we had to shoot through 2000 because nobody was there that was doing that anyway. So as far as being able to see it all the way past that, but ended up, Debt One came up to me at the time, which was the uh, predecessor of MARSOC, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, but Debt One was the kind of special forces like for the Force Marine Recon Corps. type thing. Was it? it was a lot of the guys came out of the Force Recon world, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Colonel Coates was the boss of the whole thing. and And they asked me, they said, "Hey, would you come show us how to use the equipment?" And I said, "Sure." So uh, I go out and I, I'm, I'm laying down and I'm teaching them when we're on. Uh, 116, which I think the Navy range was 117. I may be off. 116, maybe the Navy range, and we was on 117 uh, right beside it. And I see these guys walking up behind us, and, and there was there was things going on. Not, not crazy things, but things that we may have been shooting some ammo that wasn't military ammo that you can't do in the Marine Corps and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I may have had some Lapua ammo that, that I shoot out of my guns, and mm -hmm. they was like, hey, just cover it up, whatever. So. Some guys were walking down, so I'm like, hey, guys, you know, got somebody coming down. Well, it's a buddy of mine now. You know, I've been friends with him forever. So uh, he he was recon. He came down, watched, observed, and said, hey, I want to hire you in three weeks to come back down and train us for a week. So in, in 2004, we were heavily engaged in Afghanistan because yeah. I was in Afghanistan in 2004, and we were, we were heavily engaged or starting to get heavily engaged in Iraq. So you've got that Afghanistan war, long range, high wind, and then you've got that Iraq war, which is a lot of urban, a lot of rapid engagement, a lot of places where you would need a gridded radical. So the, the light bulb was starting to go on, I think, with a lot of people in the military. Had you had you uh, done any research? Had you read the Army Sniper Manual? Oh, or the, nothing. You hadn't no, done anything? No. You didn't really realize where we were Field at that stream. point? Okay. That was it. You know, <laughs> until that point. And unfortunately, that's where everybody got kind of got their information. A couple of the guys may have had a uh, sniper manual, and that's what they taught in their sniper school, mm -hmm. was what the military taught because it gave them credibility. Mm -hmm. But as you and me both know, there's too much of that stuff that's actually wrong. No, you, you know, know? I and mean, that's what I was asking. I was, I was wondering at that time, did you understand how far behind we were? Because I went, I went to sniper school in Ireland in 1987. Yep. And then I went in America in 2007. And nothing had changed. It was the same, oh, same thing. thing. Vietnam it, it to was milda, Mildots, minute of angle adjustments. It was the same wind formula. It and, and two thousand five to two. Or I'm sorry, 
1975 to 2005, nothing changed. Nothing really changed. Yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. really changed. That, that's shocking. And then over like the next 10 years, it changed more than it changed in the 50 years before. War, war does that too. Yeah, you know? war does yeah. that. War yeah. does that. So, uh, and there, uh, there, there was there was a lot of things that were, you know, kind of working the right people in the right places. Mm-hmm. You know, That's a, big uh, one. It, mm-hmm. it, a lot of a lot of times you, as you know, you know a lot more than I do. Uh, you, you get people in positions in jobs, and it, it's not. Uh, it's not to their advantage to fight that fight. Mm-hmm. So they're short on time. So they're just like, hey, just live through it and get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so you end up losing, you know, three, four years, you know, yeah. by the time you somebody the else new transitions mm-hmm. in, understands where they're behind, and then go, hey, we, this is something I need to fix. Well, it's three years has passed. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of times that's that's a process. And if he's not the right personality, what happens? Gets bypassed. Yep. And so yep. now we're a decade behind. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times then the the people that are stepping into the job only know what they were taught when they yeah. went through a decade yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. So now they're 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 focused on what they were taught as their Bible, and so now it's it, you, it continues to propagate. It, yeah. You know, it's, you're just recycling. Yeah, the it same recycles thing. that yep. same old mm-hmm. information. So we we ended up uh, recon asked me to come down to do training. Did that. Uh, that was the first paying client as far as any sniper training goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then debt one asked me, they said, Hey, uh, is there anything you would change? They, they, first they said, uh, a buddy of mine named chunks. He said, Hey Todd, you, you really hadn't taught us how to shoot. I said, yeah, I'm a cowboy. I'm staying in my lane. You didn't ask me to teach you how to shoot. You asked me to teach you how to use the equipment. And he, he grinned at me and he said, uh, would you change anything? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd change a lot, but that's not what you asked me to teach you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, write on the board what you'd change. And so it was a big whiteboard there, so I, I wrote. Body position. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I went to town, wrote all this stuff out, and I said, this is what I would change, and this is what you're going to get out of it. And I went down the whole deal. And he said, uh, can we hire you for a month? Wow. And I was, I mean, remember, I was broke, right? So, and, 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 you know, for uh Good on him because they, they, a lot of people don't think that way. They don't like outsiders coming in to oh, yeah. you, which, yeah. which is a ridiculous thing, the, the way they think. And then for the military to go, hey, we want you to come in. And uh, and I've, I've, I've had a lot of civilian instructors come in and teach us shooting and teach us other things. You have to reach outside. But back then, that was not... That's a not common decision, right? And for the Marine Corps. Especially for the Marine yeah, Corps. Especially yeah. for the Marine yeah. Corps. But these guys were the high, high end yeah. of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And some yeah. of the best guys i mean they uh, they're out of the box thinkers yeah yeah out of the box thinkers so they were at the same you know mental level as is the higher sf guys mm-hmm. and, and everybody so mm-hmm. they they were a real unique fun group and i'm very fortunate to have worked with that one uh and made the friendships that i did all the way through there but anyway we we go in and and we work with them and uh, i write it down and said he wants me to hire, hire me for a month well i said Yep, sure. And I said, where do you want to do the training? He said, well, we can go out to this place. And I said, yeah, good luck with that. And because most instructors don't like some somebody else, another instructor coming in on their property. Uh, it, there's, there's turf wars and mm-hmm. it's personalized. It's oh, A's so yeah, it's not a range. It was no, yeah. So range, they, yeah. they, they had a relationship with another range. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy said, 
basically they called him up and said, Hey, you know, is it all right if we come in and do training for a month and, you know, we're going to bring Todd out. And then he's like, yeah, as long as he doesn't instruct on shooting, he can stand around and watch all day. Wow. And, and this guy didn't even know me because yep. I'm, you know, I'm a cowboy. I'm a mm-hmm. totally unknown. So, uh, and they was like, wow, mm-hmm. really? You know, we paid this guy a lot of money. He uses ranges and instantly he was negative about bringing anybody else in. And I was like, I told you, because mm-hmm. I told him it wasn't going to work. Just understanding people. So from my cowboy action days, I had a buddy, uh, I got to watch kind of what I say about my buddy, uh, I had a buddy that had a place in Utah that, he, that he, he was in cowboy action and he did, uh, he had a facility that he had set up to do not training, but his own shooting range. And so have I been there? Is that the place I've been? You've been to high angle you have. Yes. Yeah, I've Happy Jack. I've been there, yep. 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 So we go up, and I, I call up Kyle, and I say, hey, you know, uh, is it all right if we come in and do a, an assessment, you know, look at the look at the property for a potential military deal, blah, blah, blah. He said, absolutely, come up. So we go up, and we look at it, me and Glenn Cedarholm. So we go up it's there. It's a phenomenal s- place. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. We shouldn't... So, we shouldn't uh, Barrett fifties out there with Ralphus, out like two, three. Uh, and you can't yeah. start a fire. It's all <laughs> no. rock, red rock, yeah. you know. And it, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's Five thousand foot elevation. Some of the prettiest con- uh, country mm-hmm. with the White Canyon right there beside oh, it. And so it, yeah. it, it, it's awesome. Beautiful place. Super awesome people. Uh, we go up there. We do the whole tour. Look at it. And first time I saw it. First time Glenn saw it. And he was like, "Yeah, we're done." So we ended up staying there a month. Wow. And set up and do training. That so kind of, that kind of immersion training uh, is like years of well, training was, in the military. It was two weeks with the first group, and then they sent me okay, uh, yeah. the next group yeah. for two weeks, uh, which was was awesome. And they got really in depth, and and the boys ate it up. And we did, you know, scenario training and long range and high angle and, mm-hmm. and everything. Right a lot there of people, a lot of people don't realize that sniper is not a, a full time job in the military. You True, know? and and. It's an additional skill, so you get that kind of that immersion. That you have to be really good at. You have to, yeah, there's no <laughs> yeah. room for error, right? No, no, no. So it's one of like 25 different skills you have to be good at. So you get that type of two weeks of immersion training, and you may not do training for another couple of months because you're doing free fall and you're doing breaching and you're doing CQB. Absolutely. You, know? you have so many things you have to be and good then, at. And usually that's why the stopper is a more mature guy yeah. on the team. Yeah, he's been, he's been a, an assaulter. He's been yep. a breacher. And, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, yeah. it takes a lot of years to build those skill sets mm-hmm. up. It does, you know, yeah. Because you can't take a new assaulter and throw him and say, hey, you're going to be a sniper this week. No, no. It, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. He's he's one or the other for a little bit of time you know, before mm-hmm. he can build those skills. And usually... Every sniper is an assaulter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been through the training. Yep. He can do all that. And mm-hmm. that's just another skill that he has, just like jumping and, you know, mm-hmm. jumping a bundle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just, ki- ki- whether it's, you know, uh, you know, language skills yep. or yep. or driving skills. or it, And it just keeps building does, and going on and on it's and on. Brutal, so, yeah. But they're always, that's the nicest thing about, you know, a lot of the guys I get to work with is they're, Fortunately, there, there are a lot of the mature guys, so they're, they're not 18 years old for the most part. You know, I love working with those guys. You and me talked about that earlier today. Those those young 18, 19, 20-year-old mm-hmm. guys, I, I want to call them kids. Hey, I'm 56. You I, know, I call and, 30-year-olds kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I actually had a, a guy call me and scold me for that because really? I, I actually – I don't remember where it was a podcast or is a article that I wrote or whatever. And I said, you know, the kids and he said, yeah. Hey, these guys are dying. You know, they're, they're old enough. They're putting their life on the line. Oh, you know, stop. you give, give them respect. I said, Hey, 
I treat them like my kids. Mm-hmm. They are my kids. I feed them in my house. I, mm-hmm. I love them and spend time with them till four o'clock in the morning. And I said, I check on them, you know, when they're downrange and blah, blah. They, they are my kids. So it, I, I've earned the right to call my kids and they ain't got a problem with it. So you don't need to have a problem with it either. And, and I'm old enough to be their dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe their granddad now. So my, you know, it, it, it's one of those deals that uh, it, it, it really is an affectionate term. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with it. And the guy was, I, I get his side he was trying to be respectful in yeah. his own mind so it, it mm-hmm. is what it is so it's not not he didn't a, know the context yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so but anyway so we we go down that road we spend time with uh uh, uh the ta- detachment one guys uh until they dispersed uh which was about a couple of years later after that recon kept training them then the state platoons and worked heavily with marine corps uh for years and years and years they were my primary client and mm. and so I we didn't know that. We, we worked heavy and hard with the schoolhouses and, you know, teaching the schoolhouses, all the stuff that we were doing. And now you got to remember, uh, this was before the POI changes, which you were heavily involved in. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they would, basically, they were learning ballistic engines and the use of the horse reticles and gridded reticles and that kind of thing. And this was H-37 days and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the older reticles, the 27s. 25. And, yeah, yeah, 25s mm-hmm. was probably the primary mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the 27 was uh, the Kickstarter and then blow you into the 25 and maybe and the 37. The 37 the, with the reticle really high. Yeah, yeah, the, four yeah, mils high, yeah. you know, elevated <laughs> because we didn't touch, trust dials at the time, you know. So there was there was a lot of reasons for, you know, the madness that we went down, uh, you know, back in the day. Did the, uh, did the Marine Corps get the same pushback as we got in oh, SF? Oh, gosh. You know, yeah. so I, I, it was a little bit different. In the SF world, uh, the pushback was not from, well, I say it wasn't. I didn't have as much pushback from the individual as I did the, is higher, you know, mm-hmm. command. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the Marine Corps world, it was usually the individual that was the SME, mm-hmm. so, you know, the badge protector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that was where you got the pushback mm-hmm. with Marine Corps. That's kind of where it was from us, too. It, it was, was, it was from the instructor world. It wasn't from the chain of command because they don't know jack shit about optics usually, you know. It was from the the schoolhouse, really, where, yeah. we, where we started getting that. And, and I don't think, you know, the way that I that, that I saw it, it wasn't actually the schoolhouse, but it was the the guys that were looked up to in the community. Oh, I got you. Yeah. But it wasn't the schoolhouse yeah, with the Marine Corps. Yeah. Now, it was schoolhouse and initially with, with SF mm-hmm. World, uh, which was weird because when I went up training at Atterbury and with the Navy, uh, everybody instantly said, this guy and this guy will never go for it. They were the first two that went for it, mm-hmm. and everybody bought off 100%, and it was that fast with the Navy side. So mm-hmm. the Navy side that I thought would be – Smaller, harder, tighter. Wasn't that a little later? Oh yeah, after, yeah. It, was it, after it, was, SF it was way and, after yeah, SF yeah, World. Yeah. So they, is the Marine Corps came on first. They adopted the the reticle not in a uh, program of record, mm-hmm. uh, which you know you can get into that if you want to talk about you know program no, it's too records boring, and all God. that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> but basically not officially. Yeah. So it wasn't an official yeah. reticle that mm-hmm. they used. They were still in the mill dot uh, Gen two. But they were buying them and using them. Oh, now, I got you, at yeah. this time, the SIFs were already into it. So yep. when I trained recon, at, you know, I came home from debt, went back and trained recon. When I got home from recon, seventh group was at my door. So they were at my house when I landed. Uh, went out and trained them. They bought reticles immediately, mm-hmm. uh, U- U.S. optic scopes. 
those big scopes. Yeah, you can big, take cover behind big, them if you're getting shot at. Scopes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they they bought those scopes and used them throughout life cycle replacement. We'll go there with that, and then uh, probably moved on. But they they ended up uh, jumping into it. Obviously, some other units in the world already worked with horse at that time mm-hmm. in, in the let's say army side. Yep, and then the SIFs. Uh, moved very quickly into the horse world. So is you know, seventh group and third group and fifth group. Uh, tenth group probably came on a little bit later. But these guys were doing credit card purchases, getting in mm-hmm. and buying stuff. So the, the SIF world jumped in real fast. White side, as you know, mm-hmm. it, it takes time. It does. You know, it that's does. where, you know, it goes all the way back through when you're at 37 and me coming in and, mm-hmm. and doing the whole, you know, show and talking oh, the, to the, the SIFs have dedicated snipers, too. Who they, they have all those other jobs, but they are actual snipers. Whereas that the white side teams have two level ones per team they're supposed to have, but they've got a million other things. So oh, yeah. they're they're not going to be. They don't do it as much. They just don't, and they don't have as much money for equipment or training and stuff. It's just the way it is, you know. But they did move slowly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it, it was hard to get the the white side, but at, at the time it was like you know we were doing what we could, uh, going as fast as we could mm-hmm. run, and and so. The Marine Corps, I was I was going out and I was training at Camp Pendleton. I was training at Quantico. I was going out twenty nine Palms, uh, and then SF World started kicking in with the SIFs. Mm-hmm. And so we we actually did four classes the first year, and I guess two thousand three did eight in two thousand four, uh, did sixteen in two thousand five. So I went from seventh group to. Uh, but you were there was this was all traveling, right? This was yeah, all, back you, then you, in the day, you know, around, I, I, yeah. I did training in at the high angle facility out okay, in Utah, got landing, you, yeah, yeah, but not uh, in but most of it was at bases, mm-hmm. uh, which is so yeah, prohibitive, it's, and it's it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's six to eight mile an hour wind. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wind is everything in long range, and you have minimal winds at yeah. most bases now. Mm-hmm. 218 mm-hmm. at Pendleton is an awesome range. Usually has good winds. Pendleton has good stuff. Carson has some pretty good winds, mm-hmm. uh, some pretty good ranges. But as you know, you get to Pendleton, Lejeune, uh, Bragg, uh, not Pendleton, I'm sorry, Quantico, Lejeune, and Bragg, uh, and then Fort Campbell. It, training really sucks for mm-hmm. long range because they don't have the wind value. Mm-hmm. So I, I can remember one time that, that you know, fifth group uh, stated no outside training. So they couldn't come see me. Now they could bring me in, but they couldn't come see me. So I got up there. Well, the, the boss, the head guy was a, a, a big shooter. So I told the guy, I said, Hey, you know, when, when the boss shows up, everybody leave, go, go find the gut truck, mm-hmm. get out of here. So, uh, the boss shows up, you know, and somebody whistles and I'm like, Hey, leave, get everybody, get out of here. So he walks up and they're like, Hey, we're going to go get something to eat. Do you want something in? They all get out of my hair. And so I sat down with him and said, hey, let me show you, you know, kind of what we're working on. And he's a shooter. He's a very good shooter. So he lays down, and I'm like, hey, you know, hold this, hold this. And I'm like, all right, hold this on the next target, hold this. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, it's kind of hard because we couldn't go down range mm-hmm. because it's forward firing line. Other ranges were open. We couldn't mm-hmm. paint, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so it, there was uh, impact areas. So, you know, there's you know, mortars and a lot of stuff out there, you know, as we go farther out. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, it's kind of – we. I, I think he hit the target. I couldn't hear it because it's a dead target, but, I, you know, I think I saw dust on it, mm-hmm. you know. So I go through the whole process of the negatives of training on base here. I said, you you realize the wind really hadn't changed, so we use six-mile iron on every target, so it's the same same hold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like ding, 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 coming all the way in. So it's still six, it's still six, it's still six. I said, you know, if you was at my house, we'd have already turned here and here and here because you, you know me and my 360 mm-hmm. ranges and 
every target's a new day. Mm-hmm. So it, he was like, all I can say is I didn't know. He said, they're coming back out. So immediately but, it got fixed. I just, there's a leader who probably was a good leader that would listen to you before he listened to his own men. Because his own men were telling him that. That drives Absolutely. me crazy yeah. sometimes, but, you but, know. Yeah, if your yeah. guys are telling you, look, we need to do this, you, you need to support them. I, it just drives me crazy. And I've, I've fought that fight too. Um, they can't understand why you have to go somewhere else to train when you have a perfectly good range right there. Yep. And then they can't understand why you need to bring in a cowboy from Texas to shoot, to teach you how to shoot when you got Green Berets who are the best trainers in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. that oh. mentality, I just want to punch people. Yeah, and, and I kind of get it only out of, now, let's be nice with this, out of ignorance because what is ignorance? Lack of yeah. knowledge, right? Lack of yeah, knowledge. Yeah, so yeah. once you have knowledge, then you get to make the right decision. But until you have knowledge, there's no way that you can actually really make a knowledgeable decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of where they are, and I understand it. You know, we had... Uh, a lot of people, you know, in, in my world from 2003, jumping in with the military up into today, uh, it, it was a long, hard fight in mm-hmm. the first, you, you know, for several years. I don't, I don't want to say a decade of them, but it's getting close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what year was it when Range 37 jumped in and brought me in? Uh, and we sat down. They voted 100 cent to move. Sean, Sean yep, brought Sean. you in first. I, I, me and Sean started there at the same time in 2008. So yep. it, it was very soon after Sean got because Sean, on his way to that assignment, knew he was lacking and went down to train with Came you. Came to my house. Yes, he yep. sure did. Yeah, because yep. Sean's and a spent smart. A week with me. Sean's a smart dude. So then Sean came back. And said, I want to bring Todd in. And, and and you had some guys who weren't big fans of Todd Hyatt, yep. right? Hey, yeah, there's and, still guys and, out there. But you know what? <laughs> leaders like Sean and, and good, strong leaders are like, I don't care. Well, he's coming in. Yep. Because, and I remember we had the conversation about ARM, about shooting iron oh, sights. Remember yeah, yeah. that? I remember that. Yeah, and you yeah. were like, why do you guys do this? And, and it was kind of that answer that... Everybody hates. Well, that's the way it's always been done, right? Yeah. Well, tell me why you're you're losing three days on the gun on the yeah, optic. Yeah. In that, times everything that you need, you know. Yeah. So again, Sean Kirkwood, smart guy. Well, in qualifying, I can remember one of the deals I hated with the military was, hey, you got to qualify to get into sniper school and qualify yeah, that was with an M4 that, was that wasn't your that M4. Was you just landed on a gun. You had to shoot these MOA targets yeah. at, what was it, 25 It was or only 25, but yeah, we, we shot them. The instructors all shot them in the morning to make sure they were grouping and all that. And I mean, I'm coming to school to learn. Why so, do I have so to? So here's, a, you know, I, I don't. I don't disagree with the idea that we take the best guys. So if you qualify, here's what I disagreed with. There were classes that, you know, if you started with, what did you start with, 20, 40? Uh, we How many slots could you fill? 32 back then, and we went to 40. Okay, uh, so you, yeah. you could fill 32 slots, but there may be 50 guys show up, but you may end up with 18 guys that pass the test. Yeah, so it was you'd ridiculous. Only, it, 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 it that, was that was my only it was grief. Stupid. And here's the other thing: guys were coming from Okinawa. Oh, I know. And failing and had to go home. Oh, dude, you, I, you I spent taxpayers' money to get there. Careers change. Yeah, but it worked out for me because I I shot the the test to get into Sephardic and yeah. got in with no <laughs> slot. You know, so no, I I, I think. It, my, my it takes as long as we loaded. fill the slots. Yeah, I, I don't care about the test. Yeah, have them shoot mm-hmm. the test, but if there's 32 slots, you fill 32 slots. Mm-hmm. And so you, so you shoot until the well, last guy fills a slot, exactly. but you can't teach 18 guys when there's 32 open. We're heavily involved in two conflicts, and we need snipers in the yeah, battlefield. Absolutely. It drove me crazy. Yeah, which, yeah. thanks to you, you were the one well, that it, changed it, it, a lot it, well, of that. It wasn't just me. There was, there was a few well, guys there, involved. The, well, like I said earlier, there was, the, the head shed was right at the time. 
uh, you you had you had a great leadership in mm-hmm. your your time there, mm-hmm. uh, and then you were leadership. So mm, yeah, uh, it, yeah. it it worked out well, that a lot of the common sense stuff got worked out while you were there, and and uh, not take away from anybody higher mm-hmm. at that time because that it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. They they actually, I mean, from. Uh, Cranenberg and, yep. and Pete. And that's how Gold I did it. And, Peter, people have asked me, you know, how did you get this to change? Because it was a big battle. I took the leadership in and convinced them, and then it became a directive. You know? yep. I just bypassed all the other guys who were fighting us on every move. I remember we were coming back. Me and Chris were driving back from your place, and we were, I think Chance might have been with us, and we were talking about... Um, do you think we can get them to change the wind yeah, formula? Because the wind formula was <laughs> yeah. antiquated. And we're like, they'll oh, never horrible, fucking yeah. go for it. They'll never go for it. And we just fought and fought. And, and using rules of nine at the yeah, time. We were yeah. using that. And, and and we were using, you know, range times wind divided by 10, divided yeah, by yeah. 3.5. And, 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 but what we did was. Everybody and, had a calculator out Yeah. Oh, it took you 20 minutes to, to get a wind go. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. But what we did was we, um, we, we did like 10 problems on the, on the whiteboard. Um, you know, six mile an hour at 800 meters and, and, you know, on both sides. And we had one guy using uh, the army formula or the rule of nine and we had another guy using the short wind formula. And not only was it like twice as fast, but it was more accurate when yeah. you actually did the wind in, in the PDA. It was more accurate. Well, all my so formulas are based argue. on where the bullet hit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you can't say it's not accurate. It's like, well, yeah. that's where the bullet it, hit. It, so yeah. how's that not accurate? Yeah, it, it uh you can't argue with the, with the speed and the math. Yeah. You just can't. And if you do, you're just being entrenched in your ways, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, but th- that was a much bigger fight than most people realize. So when we went down there in 06 to your place, we were the first group ever to go to Canadian. Yeah, yeah, first yeah. group to train in Canadian. Right, but we first, were not the first. first you'd class. already trained seventh group. You'd already trained some oh, yeah, other guys yeah. in We had been training for yeah. a solid three years mm-hmm. before that up in Utah and training all around the United States, driving, mm-hmm. you know, all over the country. Yeah. But, but th- that was the first, third group was the first group at Canadian. Yeah, we went down there and I was like, oh, what are we doing? Going shooting? Okay, let's go. And then we're sitting in the, actually the hotel you didn't have sleepy at the time. It was in the hotel in Canadian. Remember that? It was in. Uh, oh, I do. Yeah, and no, we were sitting was around. We linking ammo. We were, we were, and, <laughs> and we were, uh, we were in that Canadian hotel. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. If that's it, still open, is it? Yeah, it's been um, open on and off. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's even open. And now. we were tapping on the old PDA, which yeah, was a yeah. great learning yeah, tool. I forgot we were doing, but I don't know. Did we not? Have sleepy then, or we were just no, doing night classes. No, we didn't have sleepy. So where did at all. we do classes? Back in the then? in the in a room at the at the Canadian Hotel. Oh, that's right. In the we conference did. room. Yeah, yeah, conference I room. Forgot yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that didn't last that long. That we did that. That may yeah. have been. But I can remember sitting in there teaching ballistics while we're delinking ammo. <laughs> so that that was interesting. But we hey, we learned a lot of stuff we about did. delinking ammo as far as what works, keeping the colors mm-hmm. you know matched up for mm-hmm. the guys to know what. You know, mm-hmm. like demo looks like. I remember, uh, I'll never forget Jason. Jason was on the gun and I was spotting and uh, we, we tapped everything into the PDA and there was a, uh, it was up there by Eddie's place. That range one. There was like a 960 target or something out there and bang, Jason shoots and ding, hits it. And he's like, this is fucking ridiculous. Because there was a time when an 800 meter shot was a hard shot. Yeah, well, hey, like, it's 50-50 at range 37. It really remember? was. Yeah, yeah, it was like, hey, you need to get all your hits out uh, when we when we did. At the 600, 70%. Yeah. Yeah, 800 yeah, was 50-50. And the target was like massive, you know. So, uh, yeah, and I, I, I had a guy when I was uh, the NCIC, we had a guy from fifth group come through and failed the field shoot. 
Now the field shoot's shooting a target that's uh, thirty six by eight, eighteen. Yeah, out to eight hundred, and then he comes down a, a couple of weeks later. He went back to fifth group because he'd failed, and then a couple of weeks later, he's in Todd's, and I'm there as well. And he's hitting twelve inch plates at a thousand, and he's like, "How the fuck did I fail?" You know, he just didn't. He, he it, it, yeah, it, it, it had evolved. Yeah, and and the school has took a while to catch back up, but it it eventually did. But it did. Yeah, it, it did, and uh, you were a huge part of that. It, when Sean brought me in, everybody voted in unanimously, or which never happened. Uh, from what y'all said, mm-hmm. everybody was unanimous in saying, hey, move to the horse radical. Mm-hmm. So we came in, we trained. Uh, again, this was pre-POI change. So the POI change was a much larger evolution than just a horse change and mm-hmm. moving to the, the to the ballistic engine, which was a horse and a PDA at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and we used the one, two, three, and then that moved to the TX palm and then we moved to the Kessel, and I, I thought, man, this is a joke. What are you doing to do with the Kessel? I got seven buttons for, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a PDA. I can run down and do ballistics, you know, driving down a highway on a PDA. Yeah. I said, this thing, I was wrong. Kessel mm-hmm. was phenomenal. It was, And yeah. it still is. It, it, it's, it is. It's probably the best long-range tool that we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Replaces all your data books. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't even keep data books anymore. Data books are, you know, great for kind of keeping track of what you're doing uh, in the day to day and some overall results of what you're getting and kind of keeps you, uh, tracking a situation. But what we used to write down in data books, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, Hey, I shot at 800 and I missed, and this is where mm-hmm. I hit no, on, on a sunny sure day. On yeah. 60 yeah, sun's at two o'clock and it's 67 degrees, but and- it was all we had. And when the ballistic calculator came out, it was such an educational tool because students would come and say, Hey, uh, what will a bullet do at, at 1200 meters? How much energy did it have? We'll punt it in. Let's see. Yep. Whereas a lot of those things were theory before. They Absolutely. Were just, and it's all, I don't, I don't criticize that because that's all we no, had. No, no, that's all yeah. we had. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm older than you, and I always tell the guys, you know, your watch right now could probably do 10 times what a computer do the, computer could do the size of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day when mm-hmm. I was your age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at 18 years old, a, a computer, you know, probably that put, you know, the, the man on the moon mm-hmm. uh, was... The, the, the building. size of it, mm-hmm. your watch is probably a yeah. hundred times what that mm-hmm. computer can. But do you have to, you have to. Power. So that, that's the other piece that's always a challenge, right? You have to embrace technology. You have to move forward with the technology, but technology does not reduce your training requirement no, because you have to train all the basics. So now you have to train all the basics and the new and stuff. The new so stuff. and that that's always a, a a scary part for me, you know, the more and more we get into technology, there has been people who wanted to take map and compass out of the Q course because we have GPSs. That's bullshit, yeah, man. You that. have to know yeah, how to use it. So I'm a pilot. You can't do that. No, no, right? And and it's the same thing as we go forward with scopes and 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 scopes that have integrated rangefinders and and wind te- wind sensors and all that. I, if I had that scope now and I ran sniper school, I wouldn't even take it out of the box until the last week because yep. nothing absolutely. Else. And that that I I fear as we go forward and time gets crunched and and especially SF guys that have so many skill sets to master, 
they're going to cut corners and cut out the basics. Hey, well, and, with the new smart scopes, the data yeah, scopes, and I mean yeah. everything's right there in front yeah. of you. And, and, and I'm I'm big in that, and and you'll see, you know, in in my presentation that I'm doing this week, it's uh, you know, what matters and when it matters, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's things that matter depending on the shot. Mm-hmm. So if I'm shooting, uh, let's just say two thousand meters, and we're we need no direction of fire. Because Coriolis is going to come into play. I need to know what latitude I'm at, mm-hmm. you know, correctly to figure out my Coriolis. Uh, you need to have your spin on or know what your spin drift is and account for it at that range where at 600, it doesn't matter. Get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, what I hate more than anything in, you know, uh, is, is guys when they come to the range and, and we're talking military guys, you know, snipers, they pass the course and they come to my range and they're like, hey, Todd, uh, what direction of fire is the target? And I'm like, uh, the one at 460 meters? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah. And, and what angle is that? And we're shooting downhill, you know, a little bit. What angle is that? And shoot I'm like, with your pistol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just shoot the damn thing, you, you know? Do, so, you remember, do you remember that? Eh? I do remember the you pistol remember, shot. You know, yeah, yeah, 700 meters into so the we, middle we of the So we were up pond. in, in Utah. Yeah. And we yeah. were walking back across the ridge line, and there's a pond at about I think it was six and a half or seven hundred. Yeah, it's seven. Yeah, was it? Yeah. And I'm like, I pull up my 1911, and I'm like, Todd, what do you think? Can I hit that? And Todd's like, Stop, let's do the math. So yeah. you pull out the PDA, and I used to tell yeah, I people, told you, this. I said, You yeah. got all the tools you need to do the shot. Yeah, and, yeah. and you sat there and you looked at me, yeah. and, and I, I was like, All right, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And, and you looked at me because you wasn't tracking what I was talking I about. Wasn't, I said. Yeah. Grab your grab your PDA, mm-hmm. and so you holstered the pistol. Grab your PDA, and you looked at me. I said, "Muzzle and so you plugged in your yep. muzzle and said, "BC," and you, and you looked at me. I said, "I think it's close to this." So we plugged in the yep. BC, yep. and it gave you meals. And you said, "Okay, it's X amount of meals, like sixty and, and, meals or something." Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah and I yeah. said, "All right, you still got all the tools you need." Mm-hmm. And you looked at me like, "Dude, I got open sights. I don't have meals on my pistol." I was like. Grabbed a spot and scope, yep. and I said, measure up Measure on the up the mountain on yep. the far side. Yep. So we like measured up mil. the mountain yep. so many mm-hmm. meals, and you aimed at that point and shot and hit the center of the I pond know, 700 right? meters away. I, I've told that story many times teaching people because yep. it's just math, right? Yeah, it's, it's just it's math. It's cowboy math, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, so, was, that was cool. That was so a neat deal. I, I, as we move forward, right, we, we've evolved now. We've come a long way from where we are. Uh, Even tons, in, in tons, tons. You know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, we've really come a long way. And to me, the sniper is more capable now than he's ever been. And Unfortunately, we're beginning to rely, and, and this is what I see, we're relying on, we're creating, it's kind of like what you're talking about, in that we're creating a sniper that potentially could rely on his equipment too much. Right. And if, if I took his Kestrel away, uh, took his data scope away, turned the batteries off, mm-hmm. Uh, that may not be able to operate at the level that you were able to operate mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that's my concern. Mm-hmm. So we, these are enhancements. Yep. They're they're not the driving skill set. They're just enhancements to that skill set. I, so, I wonder if that's something that, that I, and I, I, I still have some influence, but you could implement into, into school, you know what I mean, on, on like week four, take all the toys away. Do, oh, dude, do it old school. Awesome. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I'm a big deal. And not just legacy to make the guys do it, but yeah. they should understand. They should. For, for one, uh, 
there, there's been a lot of times I've been thrown on a gun that is old school mm-hmm. for one reason or the other. And it's like, Hey, you know, can you, can you help me out? Can you fix mm-hmm. this problem? I'm dealing with a two and a half to 10 second focal plane mill dot, you know, yeah. or a BDC yeah. or, or back in the day when we had BDC turrets that were made for 173s, but we're shooting 175s. Yeah. yeah. But figuring that out is so educational. Oh, it is. Figuring it's out, fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's, it's yeah. actually yeah. very educational. It's, it, it's a lot of fun. I love doing those classes because it, Man, it can fill up time, mm-hmm. and you just get to teach, and the knowledge that you see the guys just open up. It's like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. You know, do, that- do you see that? I, I, I know the answer to this, but you see that you see that glazed-over look for a while in your yeah, classes? Yeah, you get that aha moment. But you do. You get the, the oh, shit, <laughs> yeah. now I understand, you exactly. know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, where, where do you see it going way. now? Uh, yeah, so... In the future, what this is, you know, I've been very blessed. So, you know, I get to work with a lot of people from Sandia, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, you, you know the people I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Uh, different levels, basically, the smartest people on the mm-hmm. planet that the government works with. I know those guys you're talking yeah. about. I feel stupid every time I talk. Yeah, to yeah, them. yeah, me too. Uh, and I've been brought into programs, you know, since close to about 2006 time frame. Uh, a lot of programs that were secret, and the only part that was secret was the part that I got to help be a part of. So they allowed me to be a part of mm-hmm. as somebody that didn't have the clearance. But I was, I was, I was helping in a area that they needed help in uh, stuff like disturbed radicals. Mm-hmm. So disturbed radicals, we've been working on for trying to incorporate for twelve so, years. Just explain the disturbed. All right. So radical. a disturbed radical basically is a radical that we can populate information on. Mm-hmm. So if if I say, hey, you know, and we've seen this stuff in the past. If I say, hey, I've got a five five six shooting a seventy seven grain. Instantly, a ballistic reticle appears in my screen that perfectly matches for density, altitude, muzzle velocity, and BC drop. Mm-hmm. So, and then I go, oh no, I think I'd rather shoot the three hundred eight. Uh, on this other gun. So I take the scope off, put it on this other gun, this 308, and instantly when I plug in the information, it instantly populates a drop 200, 300, 400 mm-hmm. that perfectly matches that, that density, altitude, everything. So these are disturbed radicals that we can populate information on the radical that we, whether it's in mils or a BDC of drop or, or whatever. So these disturbed radicals, uh, we've had them for the wind sense stuff, mm-hmm. and and which is is awesome. I love it. But the disturbed reticles have one big issue in my world. So we finally got to a point that we had disturbed reticles, and the powers that be were really wanting to push them out because we've been working on this over a decade, mm-hmm. uh, and they wanted to push it out. And I said, "Hey guys, we're not there yet." I said, I think it'll be there in five years, but we're not there. And they said, what do you mean? I said, here's the problem. I said, if you cannot self-spot, because we've went down to a single shooter role mm-hmm. in the military. It's yeah, not the old often, standard yeah. shooter spotter mm-hmm. stuff. Spotters for training most yeah, of the exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, it, 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 like you said, we need guys on guns. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get downrange, you, know, you got mm-hmm. two snipers. You got two two guys on guns. Yeah, you, you, you don't have this. If me and you are on target, you got better things to do to watch me shoot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the big deal is, Right now, if the pixels are too small in that scope to actually be able to self-spot because mm-hmm. you can't see impact because the pixels are too, I'm sorry, too large, uh, the pixels aren't small enough to have the individual information pop up on screen, then we're not ready. Mm-hmm. So you can't take away capability at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always, you know, as long as we're gaining capability, that's fine. 
never take a capability away and give me another capability mm-hmm. because self-spotting is huge. The most important thing after you pull the trigger is what? Seeing your own mm-hmm. impact because you know where you were canned. You know where you broke the shot. I don't want somebody telling me, hey, Todd, you hit 0.3 left and uh, maybe about 0.2 high. And then I'm trying to figure out, well, I think I actually broke it a little bit left. So let me subtract that from what he told me where I hit. And now moving back on target. Now the wind's changed. Three, well, at my house, six mile hour. <laughs> so because now it's going 23 instead of 18 or 17. So it, it's it's a it's a big problem that now is probably going to incorporate another miss because I had to stop, slow down, listen to somebody else, incorporate that information, whether he actually saw it correctly or not, and then go through the process, second shot correction. Uh, self-spotting is huge. Pull the trigger, mm-hmm. boom, rack the bolt. If I have time to fly, sit there and watch it, replace my, you know, uh, aiming point on the target, wherever the bullet hits in the rectal, second shot correction, drag that to the center target, pull the trigger, boom. Perfect second shot correction because I shot close enough to the first wind call. So I'm shooting in the same environment is mm-hmm. what I mean. So it, it, it's a deal that uh, self-spotting, uh, because of the lack of capability with the sub reticles, it's not ready. Yeah, uh, I, I do believe it'll be here. Uh, right now we have data scopes, smart scopes. So basically I can get all the information. I can hit a button, laser target, weapons mounted, laser range systems. Now these are the next generation. We started out, you remember the rulers, and, and before the ruler, what mm-hmm. was the big one that had the miles gear in it? Storm. storm. So we yeah, had the yeah. storm, mm-hmm. then we had the ruler, mm-hmm. and I think the storm was kind of the first of the you know first g- generation. Then we had the rulers, and rulers were really good. They were, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're phenomenal. And then we go to the Raptor S, and then we go to uh, – we won't get into the new equipment, but, we, but we've got a lot of new the equipment whole, that's The whole over. goal of that whole thing, and we were chasing that smart scope for a while, but we were like, oh, we're not going to rush it. We're going to get it right. So yep. we went with the other – the night force we just unselected. Yeah, and the whole goal though. was to um, – that shooter never comes off the optic, right? Because yep. when you come off, you see that bad guy and you come off to look at data, look at Kestrel, look at your data card and go back on. Absolutely. Very hard to reacquire. So it's to keep the sniper on looking through his glass. And we, we, we will get there. And, and the data scope does that now. So we have uh, Kent inside, which is phenomenal. That's huge. A little yeah. red light mm-hmm. comes on, you know, when you're off Kent. So I think it's off uh, I love that. a degree and a half. It pops up. Uh, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. It's so and then awesome. you've got your dope. And you can actually populate the information that you're looking for as far as, uh, you know, if, if you were on target and you said, hey, Todd, I've got movement at 236 degrees, I can just turn my scope yep. because i got azimuth. Mm-hmm. I turn my scope at 236 degrees and go 800 meters, and I'll look out what I perceive as 800. Hey, i got target instead of you know, the old talk-ons. Mm-hmm. You know, that was part of sniper school. Yeah, it was a huge yeah. part because we didn't have you know yep. all that. I Dialogue, remember yep. being in meetings. They said, hey, Todd, what do you want in the, uh, in the thermal world like in the hiss? And, and I said, please give me azimuth, mm-hmm. you know, so we can talk. Back then, the hard deal was the thermals had just been brought in, you know, whether it's, you know, like I'd nod block threes, and, and the, it wasn't back then. It was actually just the the, the FLIR hisses. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem was we were trying to talk FLIR yep. hiss to the Two months. different languages. So, yep. so yeah, so mm-hmm. you had one guy square and you had mm-hmm. one guy thermal, and it's like do a talk on, yep. you know, out on a target in the dark time constraint mm-hmm. i need i need a shot fired you know in the next mm-hmm. 15 seconds it could take three minutes yeah. to get the guys on yeah. target if they don't, if they don't so, get in a fight and punch each other oh, yeah, yeah. exactly and so it was it, I, what i see coming up so we got atac all right so phenomenal 
tool probably still growing probably will still grow for the yeah, next it's decade it's in its infancy it yeah, really yeah, is it, yeah it really mm-hmm. is so so and i can remember you remember falcon view and the mm-hmm. okios yeah so the i i asked for horace to be put in the falcon view way back in the day and there was like interest but the technology wasn't ready for that mm-hmm. because all I want to do is, you know, tap on the screen, drop a pin, whatever you want to call it. Boom. From your position, it's this amount of distance, which means for the gun you selected, it's this amount of hold. So you got a rolling map, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time, but mm-hmm. in meals. So, yeah. uh, one call is still one call. One call will always be one call. I remember talking about that a long time ago. Digital range card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you could do range rings. Mm-hmm. You could do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so ATAC now is moving towards that. There's funding on it. So now we'll probably get applied ballistics inside. ATAC and, and it's, awesome. it's it's next generation mm-hmm. uh, which now can Bluetooth into your scope so now all that information so really uh, you know and I mean it's already in your skydiving stuff so guys you know while they're in their air they can look out and they can see so when I'm flying my airplane I've got these little magenta rectangles I just fly my airplane through and it tracks yeah. me all the yeah, way like into augmented reality approach. we're working on and now. it's yeah. so mm-hmm. simple to do the, I mean it's it's like yeah. uh well, it, it, it's like playing a game, mm-hmm. but but you're flying 200 mile an hour through the through the through the you know through the sky. Same thing with skydiving. Now it's like, hey, I only need to land out here, and you're flying it not under kit, you know, and you you've got all this equipment, and you're flying through these little magenta boxes, mm-hmm. and then when you land, you got your exfil point that it's marking. So you, I mean, you're not. You're not mapping compass, but guess what happens when everything is yep. lost electrical? Mm-hmm. You go back to it because yeah. you have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So back to your point previously, but that's where I see us going in the future. Uh, ATAC with everything that it brings, uh, data scopes. I don't really know that we'll be into disturbed reticles with all the gains that it may potentially give us. Uh, I don't know if data is actually really that less of a technology than than what we get with disturbed again it's it goes back to do i really want to just put a dot on target and pull the trigger i mean i've had guys tell me that hey just give me a dot if it's it's like, it's like a short-term solution there. right it's a short-term solution that i can i can teach a guy on my team who's not a sniper how to do but it's not the long-term solution we need to, to give you a better capability. True, you but know? then you get into second shot corrections because you know the deal is we miss for wind. Mm-hmm. And so yep. if the dot, you pull the trigger and the dot disappears, where are you going to yeah. hold for your second shot? Know, or right? what if yeah. the dot stays there until yeah. you push a button? Uh, where'd you hit and what's your correction? Is there any kind of meals in the scope that you can measure off of? Or you just got to remember that dot was somewhere in this orientation mm-hmm. based off the red dot. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there's... There's a lot of next generation coming in that world, mm-hmm. but uh, ballistic engines. I, I, I don't want to say we're because I, I don't ever believe in this. I always think that we may be as good as we're going to be for a long while, but then next thing you know, we Kestrel has come a long way, even in a couple of years. Oh, it's come it's a long amazing, way. Yeah. you know. So the the Kestrel is probably the best long range shooting tool that we've ever had, mm-hmm. and it's not not. Uh, I don't want to be against Kestrel. It's not really Kestrel. It's the applied ballistic engine. Yeah. So it's if if I had the applied ballistic engine in a PDA, mm-hmm. I'd be saying the same thing about yeah. the PDA. The Kestrel is just a medium in which it's in, which is phenomenal because yeah. it's easy to work. We spent a lot of years managing the usability and the buttonology mm-hmm. that makes it that nice. So yeah. you take the the AB engine that that we're giving it all the credit. You take that and put it in an app. 
Uh, I, I, I'm much rather use a casserole is use an app. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would it, too, it's yeah. easier. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. so why we spent the time creating that, that what we call a, a simple button in the casserole to get me to the information that I'm looking for quickly. Uh, and, and that's, that's what I love about the casserole it gives you, gives anybody the information quickly. And this is something anybody can do. Uh, and unfortunately for, you know, we got to be kind of careful because it is something we're getting long range shooting, uh, to to a level that you know it's not hard for anybody to do. So, so I had two guys come out this past week, or two guys, husband and wife YouTube group, uh, kind of like what we were around today. They're off road bunch, mm-hmm. uh, more rock crawlers. Uh, but they came out to spend time doing the rotor recoil class, shooting out of helicopters, you know that kind of thing. And so I'm flying the 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 filming bird, and we're filming them going through the course, and then they're gonna lay down and shoot at a mile target with me with 300 Norma. Well, obviously it ain't hard, you know? So the, the, the girl had never shot a scope before Mm -hmm. and she lays down and gets a first round was just off. Second round is just off. She hit her like third, fourth, fifth round at a mile. Mm -hmm. Well, the husband already knows when basically by now. So I'm like, all right, Hey, you know, this is your hold and I'm feeling it. Gus, I'm like favor left three meals. Boom. He hits first round. He hits second round. He hits third round, you know, and it's his fourth round before he barely fell off target. So it's like, it's not that hard. You know, he's not a long range shooter mm-hmm. in any manner. She had never shot a scope rifle and got a third round hit at a mile. Mm-hmm. So it's not that hard, but we also have to manage the, what I call our idiot world. So we, we, we have good American kids down range. Uh, we have to manage what we put on the internet yeah. and be grown ups about it and not try to be self oriented to the point that we want to make sure we look good in our own special little group and start putting out information that can put our boys mm-hmm. into harm's way. Yeah. And, and, and you got to give the boys credit. They're downrange. They're doing the job. Uh, just because you found out something doesn't mean that the world has to know what you found out. Yeah. That you happens know? a lot, right? Yeah. Oh, it happens happened. all the time. I get yeah. so mad, you yeah. know? So yeah. it's, it's a, uh, it's something that we have to monitor and we have to look at. And you know, some of the stuff that I'm talking mm-hmm. about, uh, that we kind of try to keep quiet. But again, it's not just the stuff that you and me would consider kind of secret, uh, just normal stuff. Yeah. Uh, we don't all have to sit around and talk about, you know, a, a capability that makes it simple. It's kind of like, uh, some of the, uh, speed drop stuff. Uh, it, it's not something I'd want to put out for the world. We do, no. we do in a way, but, you know, you never, and this is from the, the force mod world. You never want to send our guys into a fair fight. No. You always want them to have the advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and obviously from the SF world, uh, what what is one of the main things you do? You train fit. I mean, mm-hmm. you're doing fit work, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're training for an indige, and in that world, how how much do you teach them? You teach them everything? No, no, not everything. No. You know, because you never know what tomorrow's going to no. hold. No, so it, it, you you teach them enough that they can do a good job for their yep. world. Uh, but they're again. They're in their world. You're in your world, and mm-hmm. we don't know where world's that world's going to change. World's change. Yeah. So it's you know what's next generation ATAC, uh, ballistic engines in ATAC, uh, data scopes. You and you've been a huge part of this. The ASR program with the MRAD. Mm-hmm. The MRAD's going to be around for 
multiple decades. It's one of the best rifles I've ever seen. I, I don't so, think I don't think people realize how good that rifle well, is, how it, good that company is, Barrett. They're a phenomenal. You know, in 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 like me. All right, so I, I'll fess up. So when uh, it was brought up first, they said, "Hey, you know, we'd like you to come out. You know, can we can we bring the Emrad out and show it to you?" Well. I knew the guy from Barrett. So Ronnie, and not Ronnie Barrett, but Ronnie Wright, mm-hmm. good friend of mine, uh, works with me on my bubble level lights and other stuff. He, he has a, a DRS Downrange Solutions company. Phenomenal, smart yeah, Ronnie's guy. Ronnie's a smart guy. Yeah, man. super yeah. smart guy. Great product. So he, he builds this little card that beams from your phone and populates information. Yep. It's, that, it's yeah. super awesome. Yeah. But anyway, we he calls and wants to show me the gun. And I'm like, eh. I love Barrett. Barrett makes some really good 50 cals. And for what they are, they're not a precision rifle, but for what they are, they really run their office really good and mm-hmm. they do a phenomenal job and it's a great tool. Uh, after that, pretty much back then, done. Uh, I'm not really interested in a Barrett for precision weapon system because I don't think they're capable. Uh, I'm shooting surgeons, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've got, you know, nice custom rifles and you know, I've got several of them and this is how a custom rifle should be done theory uh obviously we don't know what we don't know and i don't know a lot so it's it's been proven several times so now they come out they show me the gun well i shoot first shot through it and and i stop and i look up at ronnie and i'm like you gotta be kidding me and there's hardly any felt recoil out mm-hmm. of this thing we're shooting 300 norma yeah and then you rack the bolt and you're like, did a bullet load? Because it's so it's smooth. So smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That little Delron or whatever yeah. it is sleeve. And, and, and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And he just giggles. And I shoot another round and I shoot another round. Now the gun's shooter too. It's mm-hmm. not like it's like, oh, it's nearly a minute. It's like, dude, this thing's mm-hmm. a half minute gun. Yeah. And so I said, hey, uh, would, would you mind putting some of these things in the school and the guys shoot them? And, you know, I was probably selfishly just wanting to play with them, you know, for Mm -hmm. free. And he said, sure, we'll do that. We'll send you four. Well, it wasn't long before I bought six more on my own dime. So it was a phenomenal gun. Mm -hmm. I've got 10 of them in the school now. Uh, We've I've probably been running them four years. I've never had a single problem out of the Amrads. I I think there's a there's a. There's a simplicity in it. Oh, there but is. But it's so well engineered. Yeah. But 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 we can't we can't hide the fact that the engineers such a did uh, they did such a phenomenal job that the felt recoil is totally different than a lot of the chassis. There's a lot of engineering about how that recoil comes back mm-hmm. through and you stay on target. So mm-hmm. the guys will lay down and we'll shoot multiple rifles and I'll have the guys shoot them and everybody picks the MRAD. You know, you've been there. You selected it, or you didn't select it, but it's it's basically what y'all selected mm-hmm. as a as yeah. a group. Uh, but we we wrote the specifications for that. You yeah, know, and a, the a team user of us, evals. You know, yeah. You've seen mm-hmm. them all, and, and everybody yeah. loves it. It's a, it's a great rifle to the point that for price point, I don't know if there's a better rifle made, even a custom made gun. So used to is mm. like, oh, you could go out and you get a Remington or you could go out and get this gun. I'm not knocking those companies. I'm saying you go out and get what we call kind of a standard rifle or you could get a custom made, something like uh, the Surgeons. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, man, this is a really high-end Surgeon rifle, really good, you know, maybe $6,500. Uh, nowadays, you can get 
all that switch caliber, everything for the same money as a custom rifle. Mm. And they're phenomenal accurate. Mm -hmm. And you can change barrels for a, probably around a grand. Your switch caliber, switch yeah. barrel. So now you can have a 338, 300 Norma, 65 PRC, 300 PRC, mm -hmm. uh, 308, 300 Win Mag, thousand mm -hmm. dollars caliber. Boom, boom, boom. You're not spending like I did. Six times sixty five hundred dollars to get into my surgeons, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's it's a great choice for somebody that wants something and may want to switch calibers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's a, and it's a great gun. It's mm -hmm. not like it's like, well, I could have this, but I don't get the sexy, you know, what we call CDI factor chicks dig it. You know, it's like this gun's really sexy. The gun looks nice. Yeah, it, it's it's a good looking gun. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's lacking CDI. Uh, maybe the gain CDI as you shoot it because it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. But hey, I, I love it. I love proof barrels. The proof barrels are giving us another technology as far as going into what's coming in the future. I think proof's going to be a big part of the future. Mm -hmm. They make incredible, as you saw, the kind of the yeah. stuff that we talked about today. Uh, the the proof barrel, the company I, I toured the factory last year, uh, or I guess it was nearly maybe two years ago phenomenal company you know mm -hmm. i've been very fortunate i've toured a lot of companies all over the world in the gun industry and and i would have to say that's probably one one of the but you can tell when you, when, when you work with a company you're like this company gets it yeah you know what i mean yeah, and then you absolutely. work with other companies and like i yeah, wouldn't they don't freaking, it. yeah, yeah it's they a just dollar don't. dollar sign at yep, the end of yep, the day yep, and, yep. You, know, you yeah i mean you you've seen the company you've seen how they act towards mm -hmm. the, the no i've seen it yeah. many many times so, so we're we're an hour and 45 right now todd we can keep <laughs> driving on but uh the um top top three mistakes people make when they shoot long range mm. Easy. Parallax, number one. Mm -hmm. All right. So parallax, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I know what parallax is. And like, really? So when, when people make that comment, I'm like, well, guess what? I trained snipers that have been through sniper school and passed, mm -hmm. and they don't get parallax. Mm -hmm. Normally, it's because they're young eyes. So they don't ever get to see parallax because their eye just really quick. So me and my old eyes, uh, my eyes don't change shape. So Basically, if he sets parallax and I look through it and there's a blurry reticle and I fix the reticle with the ocular uh, and then adjust the parallax on the side of the scope with the parallax adjustment, get everything set. He gets back on the gun. He goes, yeah, it looks the same. So what does that mean? <laughs> his eyes fixing it. Yeah, yeah, his eyes mm -hmm. was fixing something that really wasn't fixed. Mm -hmm. So when you move your head up and down, there's shift, you know, as far as pointing or not pointing impact, which is the the result of it, but the actual reticle moves as you move your head up and down on the target, that's parallax. So your, your target is focused on a different plane than your reticle. So how do you know where your reticle is? And so it's like, well, I'll just keep my head here. That's where we get cheek weld. That's why cheek weld is important. So if you zero to where even with parallax or having parallax in your scope, as long as you have a good cheek weld and consistency of eye placement, that, again, that's where we go back into having your eye in the center of the scope through use of scope shadow. It gives you that capability. You don't have to fix parallax because your reticle is where you perceive it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with cheek wells and not fixing parallax is if you ever move your head at all. Then, which you will. Yeah, which you <laughs> will. Then then everything changes as far as point of impact shifts. So which we found was one of the biggest problems with night vision, point of impact shifts was parallax, mm -hmm. you know, non-adjustment. So, or parallax not adjusted correctly out of the scope. So I, I, parallax is always number one. How big of a problem is it? Uh, I've seen groups go from minute of angle at 1,068 meters to uh, 
less than probably uh, four inches. So we went from uh, 11 inches to four inches at that distance. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So a guy that thought he had over a minute gun was shooting a third of a minute rifle, and which is phenomenal, as mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, that's that's my number one problem. Uh, number one, number two problem used to be can't. Uh, people didn't realize how much they can into rifles. So here, here's here's the actual real math. Now, I used to teach uh, two and a half degrees is 0 0.05 every 100 meters. And five degrees of can't is 0.1 mil every 100 meters. So if you're canted five degrees, and it's really not that much when you really see what five degrees is. It's just a slight angle. Especially when you're shooting yeah. off so uneven shoot, ground. Yeah, yeah, you're shooting 600 meters, it's 0.6 mils. So, uh, 0.3 mils is a minute of angle, so that's two minutes. Mm -hmm. So you're 12 inches off at 600. Mm -hmm. That's a miss. Mm -hmm. right? So here's the real math. So as you can see, with different calibers, we have different amount of drop, right? So as we moved into 6.5 world, I had to correct some of the stuff that I was teaching to make sure it's actually real. So it's every three degrees is 0 0.05 per mil of drop, and every six degrees is 0.1 every mil of drop. Now it fits all calibers, mm. and it's actually correct in math. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But can't used to be the biggest problem, but now everybody's running my bubble levels, mm -hmm. and so we don't have a problem normally with, with can't because guys are – it's taught in the schoolhouses. Yeah. Used to it wasn't even taught anything mm -hmm. about we, can't. We actually built it into the dialogue between exactly. the and spotter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to say bubble up, and mm -hmm. you know, yeah. everybody bubbles levels. up. Yeah, and yeah. and mm -hmm. these are the little changes that you see and you yeah. kind of laugh about. You know, it's kind of – it, the, the, some of the real world changes has come through, you know. But that and, wasn't even a thing. No, nobody even thought ago, that. You know, right? Yeah. Nobody thought well, I about can, it. I can remember I was up in, in uh, Utah at my angle training facility with a group, and there was another group kind of hanging out, you know, with minimal guys, probably four guys with this other group. And they're stand, standing over there shooting, and somebody said, uh, hey, give me uh, 0.6 mils left. And I said, stop. I said, what are you doing? And he said, uh, making second shot correction. I said, hang on, because I'm looking through a spot and scope. It's a solid bull mm -hmm. coming up. It was yep. one of those hot desert anytime, days. Anytime I hear somebody say, I'm not seeing that wind, I'm like, oh, he's yeah. counting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a telltale. Yeah, yeah. So I walked over behind them, and I said, all right, you know, what are you holding? He said, holding point six left. I said, you're canting. He, he said, uh, no, I'm not. And I'm like, hey. They always say that. Yeah, <laughs> they all say that. So I, I said, and I'm just looking at his turret. I'm like. Come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. And I mm -hmm. said, stop right there. Hold the center. Boom. Yep. Hits the target. I've seen it. You've seen it a hundred times. Oh, I've seen yeah, it I've hundreds seen it of times. But yeah. now yeah. the bubble level is fixed that uh, to the point that now most guys will always bubble up and shoot, even though it still looks candid inside their yep. scope. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll still bubble up and shoot. Here's the next problem. Second shot correction. So you shoot, you run the bolt, you put the reticle back down on the target, you're looking but you don't check your can. Uh, so now that is the next problem that we have is second shot corrections. Guys aren't mm. confirming. So what do we do? We teach them, hey, look how your reticle is oriented on the target previously to mm -hmm. the first shot and then recreate that without having to go back and look at That's your bubble tip. level. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's something you can adjust real quickly and mm -hmm. probably get within half a degree. Yeah. And so you're off and running. So it, it, it's something that we do work at. It teaches the next one is unfortunately spotting. People suck at spotting. You know, mm. it's probably people are getting pissed off right now. But uh, the reality is I sit on glass all the time. And, and I, I spent three years at the school looking through glass every day. So I got that. I got the exposure. Yep. And most people don't get that. They, yeah. They it, get, they get, like you. They you, call the plume. They don't yeah, call the impact. Yeah. Well, you think about schoolhouse, right? And, and sniper school is a whole lot more than just shooting. 
and a whole lot more. So like if half of it's shooting, then half of that is spotting. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So they get a small exposure to it. And then, yeah, they, they practice bad habits. And then well, they, and guys you know. don't realize spotting allows you uh, the, the release from uh, human performance mm-hmm. so you can learn more. Mm-hmm. So if, if I had a guy, and I have, I've had officers come in and they're like, hey, I'm not going to shoot. I'm just going to just watch. And I'm like, cool. Well, usually that officer is so good at calling wind because he had he never had any uh, physical performance or human performance that he had to do on the gun so he can focus on his wind training. Mm-hmm. He's making great wind calls, probably better than some of the snipers, mm. you know, by the end of the week, because mm-hmm. that's all he focused on. Yeah. And I try to tell the snipers, come with a spot and scope, yeah. make wind calls, mm-hmm. trade off. It's not that we're taking away training time. You're gaining training Absolutely. time. You're learning wins. Yeah. 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 And then when you have to call them for yourself through your own, sh- when you're shooting. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so every day to me is a great training day because I'm just calling wins in my head. Yeah. And I, I may go, yeah, it's 3.2 meals. And they lay down, they go, yeah, 2.8. And I go, yeah, he's going to miss. Boom. And they hit. And I go, like, oh, shit, yeah, I'd have missed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the learning just happened. So, but it, but it's one of those deals every day you get recalibrated. Yeah. So, you know, you go, yeah, I thought he'd miss, miss off the left side. And a lot of times, because I want to be honest with the guys, uh, who, as soon as he breaks a shot, I'll be like, left edge. And I'm calling his miss before the bullet gets there because if he yeah. shoots and he hits off left edge and I go, yeah, I knew he was going to be left. He's going to go like, yeah, you'll fart. <laughs> you know, you just said that because you saw where I hit. Yeah, you yeah, know, but yeah. but if I go left edge and he hits left edge, they go, how do you know that? And I was like, you, you didn't call enough wind. Yeah, your, your cosine's yeah. off. You know, blah blah blah. You've told me before that. I think you said 70% of the time people weak. under call the wind. Oh, yeah. it's weak. And, yeah. and actually, I think it's... Is that because they're afraid to get off the target? You know, he, he, I think it's because the individuals uh, that, that we're around all the time, type A personalities, mm-hmm. we're driven for human for performance. And this is, uh, again, one of my own little theories. But the farther that my crosshair gets mm-hmm. away from the target... Yep. I have doubt. Yeah. So if I fudge, I'll probably always fudge back into the target because my crosshair is closer mm-hmm. to what I'm wanting to hit. So I think it's psycho- psychological more than anything else. So when we when we fudge, I mean, and, and I do a lot of long-range shooting for myself and hunting and stuff, and I'm always trying to make myself make a stronger wind call. Mm. And and even then, I'll catch myself going like, ah, it's, it's kind of lulling. You know, I'll, I'll take off half meal, you know, yeah, and shoot. yeah. yeah. And then miss on the weak side. Yeah, it's and human I'm like, nature. It's human nature. Yeah, yeah. it is mm-hmm. human nature. But I, I think it's more of a psychological deal to where we have, where our warm and fuzzies close to yep. the target. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, I, I honestly think it's probably, well, it depends on the how, what the speed of the wind is. But I'd say 70, 75% is always on the weak side. Mm-hmm. Uh, very rarely, not even 10%, probably 5%. We're on the strong side, mm. uh, and usually, if I had, if I had to guess, and and you've you've probably been with me on target or out on the range where we look at a target, and you know there's fifteen shots, and there's only one or two of them on the left side, left half of the target, and all the other hits are, are on, yeah, the, on, yeah, the, yeah, on the weak yeah. side of the target, mm-hmm. and so yeah. it's like, hey guys, look at this target. Let it be a learning lesson to you. And then if we could actually map all the misses right now, all of them would have probably been on the right side, maybe one on Mm -hmm. the left. So it is something that we we need to be aware of and train our brain to accept. Math is math. It is what it is. Shoot the math. Mm -hmm. So I tell people all the time, 
a wound call is very simple if you follow the steps. Mm-hmm. So when, when you look at the steps, I, I, I came up with something this year is uh, the, the fist and thumb, and it's real hard to just kind of show on the podcast. But if you if you close your fist and, and give me a kind of a thumbs up, and then you rotate that horizontal from the, the base of your palm to the tip of your thumb is 15 degrees. So it, if you look at it, if I put the target at the base of my palm and look at my thumb, that would be 1230. Then I move it over and then I'd be one o'clock. So it's quarter value, half value, three quarter value really fast, but it's something that the guys can see. Mm-hmm. So it's tangible to them instead of going, yeah, I think the wind's coming from about one o'clock over here. And I'm like, no dude, that's, that's one thirty, mm-hmm. and you're going to be way off. Now what's the difference between one o'clock, which is half value one thirty, which is 75% of the wind call. So in my world, which you've been a, a, a big part of out there all the time. So mm-hmm. a normal average 24 mile an hour wind out there, the difference between 12 and 18 is a huge miss. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's one and a half wind dot. So yeah. if you're shooting a target at 600 meters, we're talking nearly a mil of wind that you're off. Mm-hmm. And so what? So it's nearly 24 inches right there. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it's huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's something that this gave us the capability that when I say this for everybody that's not in the room with us, mm-hmm. uh, showing my fist with my thumb pointing out. So it gives us capability to go 1230, one o'clock, 130 hmm. and without looking at cosines and the guys come back to me and they go, man, it makes it so simple. So initially we take our Kessel out and we find the wind speed, hold it into the wind with the, the wind is not always coming from the strongest point. Meaning if you hold your Kessel up and you go, well, it's five, 10, 15, 15, 10, five. It's not always where the 15 come from. So take your Kessel, instead of facing the end of the wind, turn it uh, perpendicular to the wind and make the impella quit turning. So move it back and forth, make the impella stop and go the other rotation or other direction, move it around until it stops or is bouncing back and forth. And then look down the seam of the Kessel. It's pointing to a point on the horizon that's the direction of the wind. Now, in in a tactical world, you can actually find this with spotting scopes and looking for bull and that kind of stuff. If you're in a building where you can't actually, mm-hmm. you know, utilize a kestrel like that, so it gives you the capability to where you can find the direction. Well, once you found the direction, uh, now you find the target, and then you start with the target and you go, okay, hey, that's quarter value, that's half value, half value of whatever the wind is that that's actually blowing. So if it's blowing twenty, it's like, hey, it's ten mile hour. That's two and a half wind dots on your three hundred eight. Boom, you're done. If you'll follow those steps, it's amazing how close you can get to actually shooting in high winds. And while we're talking 40 mile hour winds on top of, you know, canyons and guys are getting 900 meter hits, you know, for a second round. And and they're like, when they miss, it's like missing two inches off the Mm -hmm. left side. And they're like, I can't believe we can shoot in this kind of way. It's just math. It's just more math. When I say more math, bigger numbers not harder to get to didn't take 30 minutes to do it mm-hmm. it's the same process find the direction find the cosine come down to full crosswind component convert it into wind dots and you're done or if you want to convert it into meals but what what i hate to see is a guy sitting there plugging in okay i've got winds from five o'clock the wind's 20 miles an hour and he's plugging in five o'clock then he's plugging in 20 miles an hour then he turns on spin drift and then he looks at his wind hold well, by the time he's done that, you know what's happened. Mm-hmm. Wind ain't 20 anymore. It ain't from 5 o'clock. It's from 4.30. It's blowing 24. So everything just changed out of that equation. He's a guaranteed miss because he's relying on a tool to do a job that he's not doing himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that that's the big deal with me. I, I think I think technology. So question is, you know, where are we going in the future? Uh, we got a lot of neat stuff coming. 
uh, but we we have to maintain that skill level. We we have to do our part. Uh, and there's there it's, it's just like I saw. I think Trijicon's coming out. Maybe it's Trijicon. I may be incorrect. I saw on Facebook they got a, a wind reader now that works out to 500 meters, works for range to 5,000, but reads wind to 500. Well, I've been part of the wind since since it started with mm-hmm. uh, Deepak and uh, uh, the whole DARPA project and yep, remember, uh, yeah. called One Shot. And, and since 2008, they came to my house when it was the size of a rider truck, a literal rider truck, remember, and, it, yeah, and it parked yeah. out there so for a week. So the deal is, can we read wind to 500? Well, that was never the job. The job mm-hmm. was you know, 1,000 was the starter, and 1,500 is what we wanted to push. Well, that's a lot harder than 500. So well, reading wind, just reading it to 500 is child's play. Yeah. That, that's the easy part. Yeah, it's that's the easy way part. Now, there. You say that. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so in, 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 uh, in our world, and I agree with you hard, wholeheartedly, and you know I do, uh, but to, to, to the average hunter out there, they're going to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. not child play. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's hard. Yeah, For right. one, yeah. 500 mm-hmm. is long range, yeah. you know, so yeah. in, in a lot of people's world. And so I get this question a lot. It's like, hey, Todd, what's long range? All right, hang on. Uh, long range is transonic. And that's my base answer now. So if you're shooting a 5.56, long range is close to 600 meters. So can you shoot farther? Oh, yeah. Yep, it's not a problem. But that's in long range. So what's short range? Under transonic. So 600 and in with 5.56 is is short range. Really, if you understand ballistics, it, it, it really should be kind of considered long range. It's not hard. So to, to go out and shoot a, uh, a cow or a target or whatever at 500 with a 5.56 and make a good wind call, not that hard. Uh, is, you know, with a 300 Norma. Now we're talking in the 1600 meters mm. is a start of long range. Well, you wrote the program for that. So it's like 1500 meter gun, but mm-hmm. that's, it's supersonic yeah. 1500 meters. So mm-hmm. we should own everything because it's, as Brian Lynch yeah. says, it, it, it's very, very deterministic yeah. out to that predictable. Point. Yep. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. predictable. Mm-hmm. So it, it's one of those things that, you know, long range is, is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're doing uh, two mile shoots and beyond, you know, and, and shooting at, you know, smaller targets and uh that's long range that's extreme long range mm-hmm. uh you know 33 3400 meters but when you get into uh other worlds you know for for military 1500 meters shouldn't be long range because we gave them the tools mm-hmm. you know and you were a huge part of that you gave them tools that gave them the capability to where if he can do you know hold that fist and thumb out there and do that uh gave them the castles gave them the ballistic engines now we've got kids, and I mean, I say kids again, mm-hmm. but now we've got, you know, young men stepping out of sniper school, moving straight out to 2,000 meters and hitting targets. And, and you can remember the day when a 308 wasn't supposed to shoot 900 meters, right? No, yeah. But I we do. were shooting 1,600 meters with yeah, it, yeah. you know, and, and I, we could I actually hit suggested it when I got to the school first. We were at the 800 meter line, and I, there was a 900 meter line, and I, I asked one of the senior guys, I don't know, I probably told you this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, why don't we shoot from 900? And he said, it's beyond the capability of the weapon system. Yep. And that was the answer because that was the, the, the thought process to that point. Yeah. yeah, and it was. And all that's changed. And, and it, it's, it's amazing to see uh, where it's come, uh, not just technology, but the, uh, how would you say it, the, uh, 
the way that we have embraced technology mm-hmm. in the Stomper community. Yeah. And the mindset. And, yeah. Oh, the mm-hmm. mindset's changed so much. Has, yeah. And so we we've jumped in the, you know, since say two thousand three when I started working with the military and where I saw where there were a second focal plane. Uh, two and a half to ten power scopes, BDC turrets, mill reticles. How stupid was that? Oh my so God. It, it's yeah. embarrassing. When people t- ask me, what's better, minute of angle or mills? I'm like, just have both the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can work with you if they're both the same. You know, it, yeah. I work in both. Yeah. I, I work yeah. in either. Yeah. My, my deal is uh, I'm a big believer in uh, United States law enforcement should be working in yards. Uh, doesn't mean now listen that we have to have this conversation right now. So it doesn't mean they have to be in MOA, right? So one yeah. doesn't correlate with the other, mm-hmm. right? So just because no, you're working no, in yards yeah, doesn't no, mean you no, have to no. work in MOA. You yeah. can work in meals and work but in yards. But your turret and your reticle should be the same damn thing. Yeah, you're <laughs> absolutely 100%. Yeah. They should never be opposing. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. The, the, the deal with me is when our U.S. military guys are now on top of building with, let's just say, SAS or SBS or uh SASR or any of the five mm-hmm. eyes or any of the other guys that we mm-hmm. work with downrange, everybody should be in meters. Yeah. Everybody should be talking the same because when you say, hey, I got a target 500, it's 500 meters yeah. for everybody, not yeah. 500 yeah. yards for you, which yeah. is 460 meters for somebody else or somewhere uh, close. I'm just Civilian comps out. are all in yards. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. But guys, I mean, yeah. they come in and I see it. They come in and they're working in yards because mm-hmm. they went to the civilian comp and now they go, hey, target's 900. They plug in 900 yeah. and they shoot and they miss and they go, been there, done that. Yep. 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 Because yep. we're working in yards. Now, in the U.S. law enforcement world, guess what? So when FBI, well, when when certain groups, let's say FBI shows up, uh, you know, the depending on the group, I tell them, hey, you know, you need to be in yards and you need to be in meters because who they work with. But if it's, you know, U.S. Marshal Service or, you know, Secret Service, they're other group is going to be regular law enforcement, which works in yards, so they should be in yards. There's mm-hmm. not one that's better than the other. Yeah, It's a unit of measure. I was briefing General Mattis, one of the kind of highlights of, of my memory in the military. So the, I was working with Debt One. Debt One said, hey, can you come in and uh, brief General Mattis? And I was like... I didn't know who he was. You know, he's, he's just briefing one of the higher-ups, mm-hmm. you know. So I go in, they're like, you know, I want you to talk about, you know, he's going to ask you questions about 338s and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, no problem. I've been doing a lot of testing. So I walk in, and we're sitting down, you know, doing uh, a quick, you know, stand around the room and talk, and he, he's asking me questions. And it was it was very entertaining, uh, but I can remember him saying, hey, hey, Todd, I hear you think we should be in meters. And I, I said, yes, sir. And he, he said, uh, do you know what it would cost to change all these berms? And I said, you're already in meters. And and he, he looked at me and he, he turned to his colonel and he said, we're in yards, right? And his colonel looked at me and he said, I think so. <laughs> and, and and so I, I smiled and I said, I was on the range yesterday. You're in meters. 91 meters. Yeah, 91 yeah. meters is the <laughs> yeah. first one. Yeah, yeah. You've heard the story. Yeah. So it, it was it was hilarious, and that's what I told him after I bantered with him a little bit back and forth. Of course, obviously, it wasn't uh, as politically correct as it probably should have been, but I was a mm-hmm. cowboy and didn't know I was talking to the man. So yeah. it was one of those uh, we talked back and forth. Sometimes, and I said, sometimes the man needs to be talked to like that. <laughs> but he was, he was awesome. Love yeah. him to death. He gave me his phone number and said, call me anytime. Of course, I'd never call him, ever. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. he gave me his personal cell phone number said hey call me anytime you see something that you like and so we we ended up going back and forth and i said yeah first first meter or first burn yeah. is 91 meters mm-hmm. and i said 
change the paint, not the berm. Right. So, so and, and yeah. I said it doesn't cost a dime, you know, it's, or I said it may, may cost a dime. So, yeah. but, but guess what? Camp Lejeune's changing the berms. So yeah, I, I saw at a brag there was a yard range that were changing the beaters, no bulldozing the range, the the the, the beater light of moving it. And I'm like, oh, Mindset. Lord, you know, it's a pain. Man. You know, which I'd rather not have one or two or three or four hundred anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, have at ninety one and one hundred eighty two. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a an more like a unknown distance range. Mm-hmm. So you just throw some targets out into 182. And so with the ballistic engine, it don't care either. It's agnostic to that. So, Hey, we're going to shoot 180 meters, put a target out in front of the berm, shoot at it. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to have 200? All right. Is the big army using uh Kestrels now? The U S army snipers. So again, I know that they, they feel that the ASAC kit and that had a Kestrel, but one ballistic Kestrel as far as I remember. You know they they what they fielded way back in the day was the uh, the big PDAs that yeah yeah uh, yeah that's right trimbles trimbles yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so big rugged eyes that really wasn't that rugged eyes mm-hmm. and was huge and you know pulled your pants off of you because it weighed so much <laughs> doubled his body armor yeah, yeah doubled his body armor I guarantee you it would so but <laughs> it, it was one of those they they did feel that uh, I don't know where they're at with their kestrels mm. I, th- some of the guys do come to me so we we get the rangers that come down they have kestrels so I'm I'm assuming that yes they do have the kestrels you know we advance so fast and and unfortunately a lot of guys get left behind mm-hmm. uh, so some of the guys running 4500s and we're in the 5700x yeah. world and, and mm-hmm. so world right now with the kestrels uh the you know even the 5700 elites uh, it, it's fine it, mm-hmm. for for most people it does everything they need to do but it is better than the 4500s so if you have a 4500 i'm not saying get rid of it but if your buddy's been longing to have it might want to sell it to me at a good price and move up to the 5700 because it, it is a lot better and, and we've we've done a lot of additions so as you saw today we we made a lot of progress and the accuracy first page and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff i teach the military the quick wins and the wind dot calculator and uh the speed drop which is i i think you know it if you had asked me what what's the two biggest things that that i think that we brought the military uh you know in in outside you know the poi and, and stuff that we've worked on together uh but to me ease of shooting hit hit percentage on target Wind dots make calling winds so simple. They do. Uh, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It, it's and it's a game changer. It really yeah. is. And I don't use that phrase lightly because I fucking hate it because yeah. it's overused. Yeah. But it really is. And well, once you and, once you shoot it for a while, you're like, oh my god. Oh, and I know? hear people all the time. They're like, yeah, you know, I I, I don't like winds, and I, I'd rather have the fifty nine. I'm like, dude, you realize the fifty nine yeah. is the trimmer three. Yeah. Except we put wind dots. I, the wind I was dots. a huge fan of the fifty nine. You know, yeah. and and then but but I. I I won't shoot anything else now. And that's the that's the radical, the trimmer three that we use the sock of done select, and that's well, all. Was the trimmer years. five now coming? <sighs> I don't do that job anymore, Todd. So talk to Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the trimmer, the trimmer five is the trimmer three without the twelve inch drill on top. Okay. So the two, four, six, eight, and ten is gone mm-hmm. because a lot of guys. Here's the problem with the two, four, six, eight, and ten. A lot of the guys that don't know what that's for, and you know what it's mm-hmm. for, but it's kind of made for a special deal. Uh, they when somebody says, "Hey, give me two meals left," they'll go to the two, yeah, and that's not two. Mm-hmm. That's one point two meals, and so they ma- they're making a bad wind call. And so I just removed it for long range shooters. Mm-hmm. So the PRS crowd, they have no real purpose for the mm-hmm. two, six, eight, and ten. 
and uh, long range shooters don't have any purpose for the two, six, eight, and ten up on top, mm. and the stair set. So I just got rid of it, and everything else is the same. Got rid of the underneath the chevron up on top. There was a point two mark. Got rid of that because people got confused what that was as well. So we just cleaned up the trimmer three and made it a trimmer five, and then of course the trimmer eight's coming out and already been adopted. Uh, but the 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 trimmer eight is, in my opinion, even more of a game changer than the than the trimmer three was but it, it's a uh, there's more of a gap there right now yep. right yep yep so yep. In, in the hunting world uh, so in in the horse world i think the actual number of shooters that will shoot and get benefit from the trimmer eight will be 10 times what the trimmer three was mm-hmm. so in, and i was the guy that I, I was just like everybody else when when i that guy showed me the first horse reticle and i was too busy barred gun. too busy, too busy yeah. and it's like oh, man I, just please give me a crosshair yeah. you know, let me dial my dough yeah. you know i just mm-hmm. old school ignorant you know yep. so I, I went down the same road then after three days of shooting i was like mm. crap i gotta buy one yeah and so i went home and then shot three more comps and with shot well bar or one a rifle with a scope shot it so i didn't have to buy anything thank mm-hmm. goodness and so ended up shooting, and then the company was uh, horse sponsored me to go out and do some stuff, and gave me some scopes for some of my stuff. So I, I had the opportunity to learn and grow, and and very rapidly understood uh, the benefits that it gave me. Mm-hmm. And so the 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 wind dots just increase that capability. And, and when I hear people go, "Yeah, I don't like the wind dots," it's it's like it's the same argument when they go, "It's too busy." Means what? I don't understand it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing when guys go, yeah, I like the 59 better than the trimmer three is all. Well, you don't understand it because they, the 59 is a trimmer three. Mm-hmm. We just added benefit in it mm-hmm. and put in wind dots and the trimmer eight basically does the same thing. So it has the wind dots, but I created a whole new world. So the, the military trimmer eight, which is uh, the trimmer eight, what, what we call trimmer eight meal. We have the tr- trimmer eight hunter, versions uh coming out in the near future so not everybody go up and call and you know the company saying you want this because it's not out yet we haven't released it but it, it is the next version of long-range hunting radicals that does for the hunter kind of what uh the trimmer eight does mm-hmm. and it, I, I changed up some stuff and we patented the way that we build uh radicals but it's it's phenomenal mm-hmm. so you know I one radical yeah. works with 37 different calibers and calibers from 6.5 PRC to 308. Yeah. I so it's phenomenal. I to it that. is yeah. phenomenal. I got two things for you yep. before we wrap up. Um, so another well, hour? Another hour <laughs> at least. No, it's not. Don't turn us off. So what would you say? Because I've, 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 I, I think Mike told me to ask you this because there's a lot of chatter. Because there's a lot of, I don't know if you knew this, but there's a lot of experts on the internet. That oh, really? know everything. I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so to people who say 308 is better than 6.5, go. Uh, 308 is inherently accurate round. Uh, it, it's a good round. It is probably my favorite round for training because you have to be real good at it to hit anything. Yeah, so because the it, wind pushes it all over. Absolutely, the place. Yeah. and I tell guys all the time. I'm like, hey, you, you want to bring your 300 because uh, you know the range restrictions on most bases. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know you don't get to shoot them. So bring your 300, bring your 338, bring whatever you want to bring, but please bring 308 for you know 150 rounds a day at least for three days. That's actually why we left the 308 in ASR. We talked about this. It, it can you can shoot it at any range out there, and it's a great training. Run. It's a great mm-hmm. training range uh, or trait great training caliber mm-hmm. uh but 
real world, 6.5, come on, yeah. give me a break. So hit probability goes through the roof. Mm. That's why you move to it. So mm-hmm. uh, am I, if, if I go out and train, for me, I'm shooting a 308. Yeah. So because you have to call wind within one mile an hour to hit my small targets. And you've been out to the house a bunch. You know we're dealing with up to 30, 30 40 mile hour mm-hmm. winds. So it, it's something that you really have to train hard on and get good at. And then the 308, you get to see the results of your training. Uh, I hate to see guys go out and shoot in a 10 mile hour wind, shoot a 6.5 and hit every target and think they I call know. wind goods. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, hey, dude, and, you know, I, I got a great score. You know, I'm good at this. And you're like, all right, hey, show up tomorrow with 308 and it's going to be blowing 23 mile hour. And he, out of a possible 40 points now on the wind course, he hits six points, yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then he's just crushed because he thinks he, you know, is a, a great wind caller that basically technology he and low winds gave him yeah. that hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I explained it to him, you know, through technology of high BCs and high muzzle velocities, better time of flight. Uh, the edge hit that you got would have yeah. been a huge miss mm-hmm. with 308. So, mm-hmm. train with the 308. It's smart. That's a great point. Um, we're, we're, what, what's Todd's goal in the next five years, personally? Oh, so Todd's world is uh, in a transition time. Uh, so the transition is my oldest son is coming into the company. He had a aerospace background. Uh, he was going to be an A-10 pilot, was going through aerospace at A&M, uh, developed celiac disease, had to drop out of the A-10 uh, thought process, uh, went through business uh, school, got his degree, came to work for me. Super smart, you know. He's one of those kids that uh, he, he's valedictorian. He's, he's you know, scary smart kid. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, no, I've known smart. him since he was little. Yeah, yeah. He's always been scary yeah, smart. Yeah, scary yeah, smart, yeah. and he he's really good. Of course, people don't understand. He's like, yes, he's twenty five, uh, but he's also you know you, you got to look at what he's been through in his life, meaning he, he basically had to live with me as dad. So from the time he shot his first deer at six, which means he was training at five and all the training that he went through was the same stuff that y'all went through. Mm-hmm. So he's been on the program for yeah. uh, 19 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's Probably learned yeah, a thing or two, right? Yeah. 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 He, yeah. A couple of decades. Plus he's set in the classes and been on the range. And no, I've, I've actually seen him teach. I was, the last time I was down there, I yep. sat in the back and he was teaching some guys. And I was like, man, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm real impressed with him. He does a phenomenal job. And I can remember when he was little, uh, and I mean, really kind of, kind of little, he was probably, uh, 12, 13 years old. I carried him out to the range, gave him his own spot and scope. And I said, Hey, don't talk. And so he sits down behind a guy and all of a sudden I hear him, you know, making a wind call to, for the guy. And I look up and I go, Kobe. And, and so, and he just ducks his head. And so, you know, I'm going on through my teaching and we're shooting and shooting. And then I hear him. You know, lean over mm-hmm. and whisper another wind call. And I go, Kobe? And he drops his head. And so we go on for a little bit, and all of a sudden I see him lean over, and I stand up, and the guy that he's working with goes, leave him alone. I need help. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right. So if he wants his help and he's doing a good job mm-hmm. and the guy realizes it and he's just not a talkative kid. So because Kobe loves to talk. And so he, I wonder where he got that from. I have no clue. <laughs> so his mother, I guess. So, but it, he is, he's learned a lot. He's a really good shooter. So he shot his deer a couple of years ago now at 2,048 meters. Uh, he's a, been a phenomenal shot all of his life. 
extreme long range shooting. We're not going to get into distances now, but it, we've gone beyond that mm-hmm. uh, as far as distance shooting. Uh, he's he's really good to the point that he's working with uh, five I tier ones, and they're bringing him back uh, multiple times over and over and over. So he's accepted in the upper level mm-hmm. uh, the community. Uh, they really love him, eating him up, does a good job, which releases Todd to actually. So in the last seventeen years, I've been booked, you know, a year mm-hmm. out every mm-hmm. week. So we're we're training military every week for the past, you know probably 16 years full-time uh the that first year was just sparse second year you know eight so probably really 15 years it's been fully booked Mm -hmm. so it's been one of those deals i didn't have time to go elk hunting with my bow i didn't have time to uh go on a trout fishing trip it was kind of like you had to schedule a year out you had to plan it you had to take that week off and there wasn't an option like hey on friday i think i'll jump in the airplane and fly up and you know Mm -hmm. yeah go fish for a little bit because if the weather got bad, I couldn't make it home. And I've got a group sitting here Sunday night ready for Monday morning. So it killed all opportunity. I, and I'm not regretting any of that because I got to work with guys like you. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I've had a phenomenal career, uh, great opportunities to work with some of the best people on the planet. But uh, Todd time. There's yeah, time, I, I didn't I didn't do coming. a lot of the stuff that I really love to do, like bow yeah, hunt and yeah, fly yeah, fish and yeah. that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna take a little bit of time. I'll still be on the range, still harassing the guys, you know, still uh being honorary and shooting with them. But come Friday, uh they may not see Todd except the airplane buzzing them going off go fishing or hunting somewhere. Good yeah. The, the Kobe wanted this world, he doesn't know what he's getting into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he's a great instructor. He it, really is. And, and the nice deal is I can help him. So it, as far as burnout, which I was I was very fortunate. I don't think I really had burnout at any point in time. I had moments where, you know, you you don't have a, a day off, maybe mm-hmm. not any daylight period off for three months. You know, and I mean, you're, you're painting targets on Saturday. You've got something you got to do on Sunday, you know, whether it's refit or range or whatever. And then guys are showing up and you're trying to get back down to Sleepy and, you know, which is the cabin that we do all the training out of that's named Sleepy Hollow. So you're, you're, you're bouncing back and forth, running a hundred mile hour and you look up and it's like, man, I haven't had a moment of mm-hmm. free time. Not mm-hmm. that free time is important to me because I, I don't work. Uh, you know, it's like they say, you know, you love the job that you do. You'll never work a day in mm-hmm. your life. Very true. So I don't really work, but there's other things in life. Like, you know, I was probably neglecting some things, uh, uh, around the house on the ranch, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, not taking care of stuff. So now it's kind of nice. We've got the rotary recall class, uh, on the civilian side, which is with Jason, uh, my neighbor, but uh, we've got a helicopter and we do the military stuff. So now I can leave Kobe and I say, hey, you know, y'all finish up. I'm going to go load some mags, get the helicopter ready, fly the helicopter out to the range to the boys. Uh, they've started around the wind course. We're flying them out, you know, running the the the, the helo portion, which is a 50-mile gun run with over 90 target acquisitions. So we're running through that back and forth. And then I land and send Kobe off, you know, and let him – he may take the bird home and then take the rest of the day off while I'm stay there with the guys. So it gives him a break. Uh, not that you need the break, but it is nice to be able to manage your life. And, mm-hmm. and you got to strike a balance. T- you take do. a couple of hours you, you, off man. once in a while and, and go take care of stuff at the house, feed the dog, mow mm-hmm. the yard, that kind of stuff, which 
I never had any time to do right. until dark. Well, mm-hmm. you knew me back in, in, in what I call the bad years. <laughs> so in my, my early years, when did we go to bed? When you slept like two hours a night? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was classroom to one, it two was. o'clock in and the morning. And then sit around and talk about yeah. ballistics for hours. I learned oh. so much during yeah, that Yeah, it was time. crazy yeah. back in the day. Well, Kobe's doing that now. So Kobe's staying up till one, two o'clock in the yeah. morning talking with the guys. Mm-hmm. And, and the nice deal with Kobe is Kobe is super, super smart when it comes to ballistic intelligence. So, I mean, he's sitting around talking and, uh, you know, learning in depth from Brian Litz and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. Kobe's honestly, probably ballistically Kobe's above me, you mm-hmm. know, as far as his knowledge of actual what mm-hmm. happens and everything. So it's, uh, it, it's nice to see the growth. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still going to be around. I'm not quitting, not retiring. Don't ever intend to, uh, growth, I may take a month off and go hunting and fishing in Alaska in August. You've earned it, and, man. Yeah, Do and it. then come back and you know fall back in in my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I'm going the whole month of April in New Zealand and Australia doing training anyway. So I'm out for six weeks during that time. Uh, never get to take any time. This year I'm actually going to go up and try to shoot a tar. Colby got to go in and, and hunt a tar this year. Uh, the New Zealand hired him, come down and rewrite some stuff. And then they went out and he said, Hey, uh, they said, is there anything you want to do? He said, I want to shoot a tar. And he said, yeah, we make that happen. I was like, you little <laughs> asshole. I said, I've been going down there seven years and I hadn't got to shoot a tar and you asked. And they said, yes, I didn't know you had to ask. So this year I hope, hopefully I'll get to end up shooting a tar. So, uh, great bunch of guys down there. One mm-hmm. of my most favorite places in the world to get to see, you know, getting to travel around the world. That's, that's one of the best ones out there. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Me and Mike talked about that. You, you could take those special up guys from Australia, New Zealand, Anywhere. And, and drop them in. Selection does such it, an it, awesome it job. It does. It's yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Um, okay, so we we are at wow, two hours twenty four minutes. Okay, we're wrapping up. Uh, where can people, if people want to follow you, get more information, social media stuff? Where, where can to find out more yeah, about? Yeah, so. Uh, Following day to day uh, Instagram page. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, whether it's Accuracy First, uh, Todd Hodnett. So we have an uh, Accuracy First Facebook account. Basically, guys, all that is is just a business throw stuff out. It's not really where I go and check stuff. So Todd Hodnett Facebook. I look at that every day, answering questions. Uh, Accuracy First Instagram page. I go on that and post pictures. Not every day because I'm I'm not a social media hound. Uh, if we're doing something cool, if obviously I'm I'm not going to take pictures of people's faces in my job mm-hmm. and, and post them. Uh, if I can sneak some pictures that I think are, you know, gun porn. Uh, that's a cool gun, nice sunset, whatever. Mm-hmm. I may post some pictures. Winds blowing fifty six mile an hour today. I may post a pistol, uh, post a picture of a kestrel uh with 56 mile hour 72 mile hour the wind's blowing 72 out the other day when we were wanting to do some testing on you know aerodynamic jump you know just mm. neat tell a story you know type stuff mm-hmm. uh we may post some of that uh the i'm heavy into airplanes helicopters you know we we fly around the back country of idaho so we maybe posting a lot of those pictures when we're up there doing that. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a passion fly fishing. It, it's more of lifestyle pictures, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. if they want to follow Instagram's a great place to kind of pay attention and kind of keep up with what's going on, uh, in a, in a minimal way, Facebook, if, if they ask questions, I answer it messenger, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. So if it's accuracy first, Facebook, what you said. if it's accuracy first, Facebook, 
probably not going to get an answer for a month. Yeah. Uh, only f- because I forget I have that web page. Yeah. And yeah. so it's kind of one of those deals. If they want to come to a class, we have civilian classes. Mm-hmm. So uh, as y'all do as well. Mm-hmm. And so Kevin, for, for everyone here to know, Kevin's one of the few individuals. So we've trained probably 900 guys a year for the 15 years of full training. So Kevin is the only person that I've ever allowed in the United States to teach my classes. So it's, it's a huge, uh, thing for me to allow somebody to run with accuracy for a spanner because it's, it's kind of like your baby. Mm-hmm. You, you, you built it, you, you mm-hmm. created this thing. And the, the biggest problem with that is as, as you start allowing other people to teach your stuff, then somebody goes, yeah, well, you, you know, we tried that accuracy first stuff and it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, because the guy taught it wrong. Yeah. He didn't understand yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So he did a half-assed job teaching it. And then all of a sudden they go out and they try and it doesn't work. And they blame the accuracy first yeah. banner is like, mm-hmm. yeah, it really didn't work. And I've heard this stuff. And it's hilarious to me. They go, yeah, it works, but only on his ranch. It doesn't work anywhere <laughs> else. And I'm like, dude, I wish I was that smart that I could actually build something that only works in a specific density altitude that actually Genius. is changing all yeah. the time. So if they understand anything about ballistics that's the stupidest comment they could ever make in their life it only works on my ranch because we live in a density altitude world in canadian texas that it could be negative 18 to 118 which is a 9500 foot density altitude change Mm. so we're we're talking about going way up above denver to sea level Mm. you know or twice what denver is to sea level and Mm -hmm. it's like are you kidding me that you could actually make that statement with a straight face so it, it it's it's one of those deals that it's I, I I don't know. It's uh, it, it's funny the uh, the the social media crowd uh, is. I, I try not to engage. I I just don't. You know, I, I love the Joe, Joe Rogan comment. You know, it's like post what you want to post and never look back. Well, you know, I, I, I try to answer questions, and I, I get questions from kids in the army. Oh, I, I, I will answer them. them I won't all go back. Day. And look. I want you to ask. I want. I want to give back to those kids because I don't think they get enough training, especially on on, oh, a, on a range, you know. And uh, but I get a stupid comment, I'll just delete it. Uh, I'm not going to engage you. It's 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 tough to win an argument with a smart person. It's impossible <laughs> to win an argument with a fucking dumbass, you know. Yeah, I agree, hundred um, percent. And I'm with you on that. So a lot of times, you know, it, it, I, I I look and see like on Facebook. Uh, the little comment section. I'll go up and look, and like, hey, somebody mentioned you in this deal. I'll go and look, and if it's a negative, and we get them, you know, because mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's it's it, it's what always, life is. Always going to happen. So I look at it, and and I I just grin. I'm like, you know, it really doesn't matter in life because it, it doesn't matter uh, what level you're at or what you're doing in life if you've got to a level uh, of acknowledgement or mm-hmm. acceptance in, in mm-hmm. any particular world, there's always somebody there totally. to try to knock you down. Absolutely. And so there, it's like if they knock you off that, that tier, then they're the person that gets to step up there and take over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, if you're focused on me, yeah. you'll never get here no. because mm-hmm. you're not focused on your job. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm not focused on any, I'm not looking, trying to see what Brian Morgan's doing. Mm-hmm. He and everybody, I, it was funny today because he walked up with another individual. He said, you know, Hey, uh, this guy actually heard that, you know, you and me weren't going to work out being in the same building because we don't get along. Well, they don't know that me and Brian talk. Brian's you such know? a nice guy, oh, he's man. so he nice. Really he's, he's one of, yeah. And me and Brian are actually, if 
we would have probably problems with our wives if we lived close together because we'd be at each other's house all the time, <laughs> running around shooting. So, I mean, me and Brian are friends, yeah. and we talk on the phone. Yeah. And it, it's one of those deals that other people, uh, they're, they're trying to – to poke and, and say, are. you know, he doesn't and know what he's doing, and I'd never use that reticle, and yeah. I hate the applied ballistic engine just because I had something to, you know, some play in it. And it's like, man, if that's what your focus is, I yeah. never have to worry about you because you'll never be above where you are right now yeah. because your focus is wrong. It, it's it's more of a, a, a life reality, mm-hmm. you know, in, in human nature. And it's like if, if you're focused on your job, he's like in the cowboy action world, I, I remember – We'd step out on the range, practice day, and you'd hear somebody going like, bah, 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 and you'd be like, oh, crap. You know, that guy's fast. Mm-hmm. And you start walking down to figure out who it is, you know, who's built his skill level up to that. And then you, you before you get there, you hear the guy going, you know, like, oh, hell. That guy's the guy that you're, that's, you know, mm-hmm. you're in trouble with. Because the guy's shooting super fast. He he can't run that speed twelve stages three days. He's taking he's, an Instagram video. He's he's yeah yeah he's gonna miss. He's gonna have a miss and he's probably gonna have a double miss because he's thinking about his miss. The guy going bup, 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 all the way through. Yeah. He's trouble. And same yeah. deal with guys that keep their head down, keep focused, and and aren't bashing other people. Mm-hmm. They're the successful people yeah. because they're doing their job. They're working mm-hmm. at you know what they need to be working at. Mm, like, yeah, absolutely. So, Todd, this was uh, what was it? Uh, two and a half hours. Totally, wow. I thoroughly enjoyed Went it. Went by fast. I, I did hope, too. I hope yep. uh, the listeners did. Uh, I know how busy you are. I really appreciate you taking yeah, the time. Absolutely. Any time uh, left to come back. Yeah. If if the guys like listening to it, uh, yep. we we could do this time. Ah, uh, we can more. do it. Yeah. Imagine if we had a podcast thing back in the day in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, dude, we'd all be in jail. Yep. <laughs> We we probably would actually. Yeah. My son's actually fixing to start that up and do podcasts inside Sleepy. Just that you mentioned that he's actually oh, going to do that because I mean, can you imagine oh, the all those nights oh, of on hours Me on ends sitting around talking and, ballistics yeah, and yeah. stuff? Yeah, wow. And stories we, we probably shouldn't have told. So. Probably not. Yeah. I'm glad there was no recording. Yeah, it was awesome. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to wrap it up right here. Um, yep, yeah, that's it. Thanks, Todd. All right. Thanks, all right, Kevin. Bye. See you.